Hello, people of the way. If you have your Bible, please open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. 1 Corinthians 14, in continuation of our study, remember all these spiritual gifts that the Lord is teaching us through the vessel Paul in chapter 12, verse 8. To one is given the word of wisdom through the spirits. To another, the word of knowledge through the same spirit. In verse 9, we have faith, healings. In verse 10, we have miracles, prophecy, discerning, and tongues, and interpretation of tongues. But it's the same spirit. And verse 7 says, But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all, for the advantage, for the benefit of all. Speaking of the body of Christ, the ecclesia, the church. Understand these gifts of the Spirit. And then we get into chapter 13 and Paul explains the greatest gift. The greatest gift. Remember, in the absence of love, what does speaking in tongues become? Nothing. In chapter 13, verse, verse 1, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. You see? The absence of love, the gift becomes almost, it's almost like it's thrown away. Yeah, you speak in tongues, but are you a jerk? Where's the love? And not just that, but he, he goes on to continue. In verse 2, chapter 13, the gift of prophecy. What about understanding all mysteries and then knowledge? And though I have all faith, all these beautiful gifts, but have not love, verse 2, I am nothing, he says. I love how he uses himself. He doesn't say, if you speak in tongues and you're a jerk, you're nothing. No, he says, if I do it, speaking of himself, I am nothing. Now, you could say, you know, people would say, uh, 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 oh, I don't get it. How come, you know, Paul is so mean-spirited? Because, you know, I read, you know, what he says in the pastoral epistles, you know, how, you know, the, his mouth must be shut, you know, about speaking about these People who teach things that they ought not to teach, he says their mouths must be shut. That's so mean-spirited. No, it's not mean-spirited. Understand, this is pastor to pastor. Pastor Paul to Pastor Timothy. Pastor Paul to Pastor Titus. Pastors have responsibility. Elders have a responsibility for the flock, for the sake of the flock, because they're teaching the flock. And then all of a sudden you say, wait a second, Paul says to commit a guy to Satan? That's so mean-spirited? No, understand, it's the Lord that's cleaning house. Paul's the vessel. The Lord is cleaning house. Look at what's happening in the church. You know, Paul says there's, so, there's this sin that's in the church and not even named among the Gentiles. Not even the Gentiles do it. I mean, look at the condition of the church today. Or you see in the news, oh yeah, this uh, youth pastor molested this teenage girl. You say that to a non-believer. This guy molested this teenage girl. You know, this uh, 30-year-old, 35-year-old man molested this 10-year-old girl. You say that to a non-believer, it's disgusting. The non-believer be like, oh, that's so gross, you know, fry him. Put him in prison, fry him. That's what the non-believer would say. You go to the you go inside the church. 
You see the exact same thing where the non-believer says, oh, you know what, take that guy and, you know, give him the electric chair. But you go in the church and what do you see? You see pastors trying to sweep it under the rug. Oh, let's not tell the news. Let's not call the police. You know, you know, God is, God is good. God is love. What in the world? What in the world is happening? That's what you see in the world today. That's what you see the condition of the church today. But the last day's church, remember, three categories for the last day's church. It's either false. Maybe I could say four categories. It's either false, it's apostate, or it's going into apostasy, or it is true. So I always thought three categories, where it's false, apostate, or true, but Maybe I'll throw in the fourth. It's false, apostate, heading towards apostasy, or it's true. That's, that's the state of the church in the last days. Where you see apostasy is where you see the pastors sweeping things under the rug. Oh yeah, that's, that's a youth leader. He's a godly man. He molested this teenage girl. No big deal. Let's sweep it under the rug. God is love. You know what Paul says about the sexual sin that was happening in Corinth? He says, take that guy and commit him to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. Oh, that's so mean-spirited. God is love. But when we define love, we have to allow Scripture, Holy Scripture, to teach us what love is. Because people have an idea of love all over the place. You see people say, oh yeah, love is love. If this guy loves this guy, if this girl loves this girl, if this guy loves this, you know, sheep, if this guy loves this dog, if this lady loves this merry-go-round. There was a lady in in UK, she married like a a Ferris wheel. Legal marriage to a Ferris wheel because she loved the Ferris wheel. Crazy. Straight up crazy town. I mean, you hear me say straight up crazy town? I don't even need to say that anymore because, like, we're in it. You see it. You know? The Bible shows us, the Bible teaches us what love is. Biblical love. Godly love. Paul says, take this guy and commit him to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. Oh, that's so mean. No, it's love. It's love. Why? The remnant. Love for the remnant. And love for this guy's soul. Because when he says commit him to Satan, he says for the destruction of the flesh because in the day of the Lord, he might be saved. It's to save his soul. People say, oh, that's so mean. That guy even might say, oh, that's so mean. I got kicked out of the church. I got kicked out. It's so mean. Unbeknownst to him, Paul was looking out for his soul. He doesn't want him to be under this judgment of Scripture. I've had to have these conversations before. I don't say this to boast or anything, but just to give you an example, I've had to have these conversations. I don't want you to be elder anymore. I don't want you to serve the Lord in this capacity. I don't want you to do this work anymore. Oh, you're so mean. You're so mean. It's like a job position. 
You know, people think of church like it's a, a business, like it's a job position. Like, oh, you know, he got demoted or look, he's demoting this guy, he's demoting this. It's nothing to do with that at all. Say, no, I don't want you to be elder anymore. I don't want you to serve to another person. I don't want you to serve the Lord in this capacity. I don't want you to do that. Oh, he's so mean. He's crazy. He's crazy. He's so mean. What's mean about it? Because what the Bible says about an elder, what the Bible says about a ministry leader in whatever capacity, what the Bible says, those are the guidelines by which such a person in that capacity will be judged. Those are the guidelines. And if you don't meet those parameters in whatever capacity, pastors included, I'm, I'm included in that. And it's scary. That's why, you know, Brother James says, let not many be teachers. Not scary in the sense of like, you know, I mean, there's that terrifying aspect of it, but it's also important. I I say important, but huge ramifications. That's why Paul says to Timothy, you know, teach sound doctrine for in so doing, you'll save yourself, Timothy. And those who hear you. But you read the Bible, the pastoral epistles about the qualifications for pastors and elders. And to go to a person, to go to a brother, hey, I don't want you to serve in this capacity anymore. Just take a pause. It might be for a month. It might be for a year. It might be for for whatever But you need to get things right. You need to get things straight between you and the Lord and in your home. Oh, that's so mean. I'm getting demoted. You're demoting this guy. You're demoting this person. You're demoting this lady from this uh, ministry. Not as elder, you know. Pastors and elders are male. But a lady in another ministry, you know, like a deaconess, like Phoebe, what we studied in Romans. Women can serve and, you know, uh, can be ministry leaders. But pastoral and elder, always male. Male headship. That's so mean, that's so mean. No, it's just like Paul says, you know, commit this guy to Satan for the destruction of the flesh because it could be that in the day of the Lord he might be saved. That guy might have thought he was mean. That guy might have thought Paul was mean. People in the church might have thought Paul was mean. But Paul was loving. Because he's looking forward to a future time. You know? Looking out for his soul. And the destruction of the flesh, you know? There's the benefit of the destruction of the flesh. And that... I don't say that lightheartedly, like, oh, yeah, you know, destruction of the flesh, no big deal, because it's hardcore. But at the same time, you know, when if you're a pastor, if you're an elder, you cannot be a man pleaser. You cannot be a man pleaser. You have to please the Lord. You have to honor the Lord. You have to be obedient to the Lord because you're going to have to make these decisions. Hey, this youth leader is having sex with the 13-year-old girl. Now commit him to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. Call the cops. Call the police. 
He goes to prison. He made his choice. You can't sweep it under the rug, which you see pastors do. Oh, yeah, let's not call the news. Let's not call the police. We'll handle this. The church matters. We'll handle this. No, a crime has been committed. That former shepherd has become a wolf and he's to be thrown overboard. Committed to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. You see? Just like if you... If you I say thrown overboard in, 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 in alignment with the uh, communion message. You have to listen to the communion message to understand. <laughs> but it's very important. Oh, Paul's so mean, Paul's so mean. No, it's very loving. Because the Bible shows us what love is. The Lord teaches us what love is. Oh, but the world says this is love. Love is love, so this guy loves this guy, and so they can get married. This lady loves this lady, so they can get married. This lady loves uh, a, a Ferris wheel, so they can get married. Legal, legal marriage. Can you imagine that, that, that marriage certificate? Crazy. Oh, this guy loves his dog, so he's going to legal marriage. Crazy town. What about for you single people? When a guy whispers sweet nothings, oh yeah, I love you, I love you. And then the female gets sucked into a dumb lifestyle because the lie was, the, the, the love was in accordance to the world. Or the lady who says, oh yeah, I love you, so let's take our relationship to the next level. All of a sudden you get sucked into the world instead of abiding in Christ. Remember, Satan's a fisherman too. The Lord will show us his love. It's also the greatest gift. Love. And so we see in verse in chapter 14, this continuation about gifts of the Spirit, God's Spirit, the Holy Spirit. Which, you know, I teach First Corinthians in progression, so it's it's you you have to understand that. The leaven has been dealt with. I mean, we're in these latter chapters of the, of the chapter of the book. You have to understand that the leaven has been dealt with. We're talking about a remnant here, which has partaken of communion, partaken of the, the Lord's Supper, the communion elements in what we look at in chapter 13. And then understanding the gifting of the Lord is the same spirit, and the Lord will never contradict himself. God's spirit will never have you do anything contrary to his word. Because the Holy Spirit never contradicts the Father. They're all one. Elohim, the triune nature of God. In the beginning, Elohim, the triune nature of God. God the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Plurality of Elohim. In the beginning, Elohim. You see? God's Spirit will never contradict Himself, the Father. So in these gifts, oh yeah, I have the gift of love, therefore I'm going to marry, you know, I'm, gonna, I'm a pastor and I'm going to marry this guy to this guy. I'm a pastor, so I'm going to marry this lady to this lady. I'm a pastor, so I'm going to marry this lady to a Ferris wheel. I'm a, I'm a pastor, so I'm going to marry legal marriage. I'm an ordained minister, so I'm going to marry this guy to a dog. Stupid. 
That's not God's spirit. God's spirit will never lead anyone to abomination. Now, the Lord is reactionary. Understand that. What happens when people don't love truth? Well, strong delusion. But it's reactionary, just like the Old Testament. God never changes. People say, oh yeah, I have the Spirit of the Lord. I have the Spirit of the Lord. Therefore, let us go grave soaking. What? God's Spirit won't lead you into an abomination. What does that say about the adherents, the people, the pastors, the elders? God's Spirit will never say, take the mark of the beast. You'll still be saved. God's Holy Spirit will never say, go ahead and take the mark of the beast. You'll still be saved. Because God's Spirit will never contradict the Word of God. The Word of God says, don't take the mark of the beast. The Spirit of the Lord says, don't take the mark of the beast. Jesus Christ says, I and my Father are one. But yet you have a preacher who says, go ahead and take the mark of the beast. You'll still be saved. Who has his study Bibles. Who has his theories. Who has his doctorates in theology. I don't care about the doctorates in theology. I don't care about the study Bible. I want to burn it, but I don't know. You have a choice to make. God's Spirit will guide you into paradise. Not guide you to hell. Go ahead and take the mark of the beast. You'll still be saved. That's what a lot of well-known pastors say. And they're growing. Because, you know, it's almost like a wildfire. It was set ablaze and it's spreading, you know. Well-respected, so-called well-respected pastors are not embracing this. Oh, yeah, because, you know, once saved, always saved. We have licensure to do this. We have licensure to do that. It's happening. Remember, the last day's church used to be three categories, but I think I'm going to throw in the fourth now. It's false, apostate, entering apostasy, or it is true. Your move. Where will you abide? Where will, I mean, abide in Christ, but where will you learn truth? The whole of the ark. You see? Where will you learn? Where will you subject your mind to? Where will you subject your heart to? You have to be a Berean. The last day's Christian has to be a Berean. Because crazy town. False Christs, false prophets abound and it's going to get worse. So let's look at here in verse, chapter 14. Verse 1. <laughs> chapter 14, verse 1. Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts. I love this so much because you see, remember, love is the greatest gift. Love is the greatest gift. But then you see there are verbs here. Pursue. You know, to pursue, to desire. These are like verbs. It's like, wow, these are very actionable things. What you and I can do. Pursue love. Desire spiritual gifts. Now, remember, this, uh, the leaven has been dealt with. Remember, there was disorder in Corinth. Chapter 14 
addresses order, order in the church. Because we serve a God of order. And the church in Corinth, when you read chapter 5, you see like, whoa, there is some major disorder in the church. Corinth is Corinth, but I'm talking about the church. Major, major disorder in the church. And in the remnant, order needs to be established in their hearts, in their homes, and also in the church. You say, wait a second, what do you mean in their hearts? Well, look at Corinth, look at the church in Corinth in chapter 5. Look at all the leaven that was in the church. Now the leaven has been dealt with, and now you have a remnant that's like, you know, kind of like shell shock. Okay, like this guy left, this lady left, my best friend left, you know, I used to be a reviler, drunkard, sexually immoral, and I repented, but now what? And everybody's babies. Not everybody, but a large majority is babies. I say not everybody because there were those in the household of Chloe, beautiful Chloe. So what do we do? Three years, arrested development, we're all babies, and yes, we're a remnant, and these guys have left, and this other guy's been committed to Satan, and you know, the, the leaven has been dealt with, and we're brand new baby, not brand new, but we're baby believers, but you know, three years, three years in, and we're still on milk, we're still on diapers. Now they have to grow. Okay, here are deeper things. Deeper things. There, there was disorder in Corinth. All the, 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 the sex, the reviling, the drunkenness, the extortioners. Read chapter 5. That's disorder in the church. Now they have been dealt with as leaven. Now we have to establish order in the hearts and the minds of the remnant. You get teaching about marriage. You get a chapter 6 and 7. You know, these subject matter about marriage. Think of the marriages in the church in chapter 5. Think of the marriages that were influenced by all the, you know, carnal sex that was happening. Sex that was happening not in accordance with what the Bible says. Think about all that sex in accordance with the world, in accordance with Corinth. Think about all that sexual activity Think about how that would influence marriages in the fellowship. Oh, I guess this is okay, so I'm going to do it like this guy. I guess this is okay, so I'm going to do it like this girl. I guess this is okay. The Lord cleans house using vessel Paul. And the Lord says, wait a second. This is not okay. This is not okay. That is leaven, you know. Repent or separate. Just like that division. Listen to our communion message. Just like that division. So the Lord cleans house. The Lord. Just think of a courtroom. There's a courtroom. You know, the judge is speaking, says something like very, very radical. Like, okay, you know, in, 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 in executing this law, this is what's going to happen. And then you hear people gasp. Oh, I can't believe he said that. I can't believe the judge said that. And then people start to scream. People get mad. How dare you do this? And then boom, 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 boom. Order, order, order. Slamming the gavel. Order, order, order. People sit down, but there's like you know four other guys. You know, two guys and two girls that are going crazy. Okay, bailiff, kick him out. Bailiff comes out. You know, maybe it's two guys, three guys. Takes out, picks them up, takes them out. Okay, you're out of the court. Order in the court. There needs to be order in the court. You know, the natural world testifies of these things. I don't get why it's, 
I mean, I get why it's difficult to understand these things because the pa- I blame the pastors. I blame the teachers. They don't teach. But the natural world testifies of it. I say natural world, not like nature, but I mean like the, the ways in accordance to the flesh. You see this in courtroom settings, you know, order in the court, order in the court. You take the rebel rousers. Okay, you're out because there needs to be order. And I say that to help us understand what's happening in the church. Order. Order in the marriages, you know. Husbands, don't be like this guy. Don't be like this guy who was having sex with his dad's wife. Don't do that. That's not good. That's an example of what not to do. And therefore, he has been committed to Satan because of his own choices. It's a result of his own choices because the Lord is reactionary. So don't do like that. These other guys who are sexually immoral, don't do like that. They are 11, so now they've been dealt with, they're out. Don't be like that. Women, don't be like these women that were partaking of the same things. Men and women, don't be drunkards. Don't be extortioners. Don't do this. And so Paul has Paul doesn't have to, but I mean, he inspired the Spirit. He's a vessel. Paul writes about marriage. This is marriage. Chapter 7, he says, I, I wish, I mean, think of the people who were, weren't married yet. Maybe they were engaged. He addresses that too. If you're engaged and you know you you you, you want to get married, okay, praise be to the Lord, get married. But he's, ah, I wish you would remain as I am, so that you can please the Lord. You don't have to be concerned about the things of the world because of your husband. You don't have to be think, concerned with the things of the world because of your wife. You can please the Lord. And then he says something very interesting to the married people: to live as though you were not married, for the sake of the kingdom. Then you read the passages in Romans. It's like, wait a second. There's a better husband, a better marriage. You see? Maturity happens. And so you and me, these actionable words, these words, these verbs to pursue, to desire, these are very things that we can apply easily. Pursue love. Biblical love, godly love. It might be, you might be in a pastoral situation where you have to tell an elder, hey, you can't be an elder. Take a break. I want you to get your heart right with the Lord. I want you to get your home in order. Because the Bible says this about elders and you don't meet that right now. So because you don't meet that, I don't want you to fall under this criteria when you stand before the Lord. Because you're held to a stricter account. Much stricter account. And I'm looking out for your soul. If you're a pastor, you might have to have these conversations with elders. If you're a pastor, you might have to have these conversations with a co-pastor. If you're an elder... You might have to have this conversation with a pastor, the head pastor. If you're a deacon, you might have to have this conversation with an elder or with a pastor. You see? Very important. Because the head pastor of every church is Jesus Christ. And he has order. Order. In his fellowship. Where you see disorder, that's also where you see the defunct pastor. It's also where you see the defunct uh, elders. 
where you see disorder. You won't have, you know, the age of the megachurch. There might still be megachurches, you know, uh, 10,000 people, 5,000 people. But in the last days, you know, the, the remnant, it's called a remnant for a reason. Smaller fellowships, home fellowships. I'm of the belief that the home fellowship is the model of the last day's church. The model is the home fellowship. That's my personal conviction. Home fellowships, just like in the book of Acts, home fellowships. And the roving pastor, just like Paul, home to home, city to city, town to town. But like, you know, churches with 50 people, churches with 100 people, you better be a Berean. You have to be a Berean. Because remember the four categories of the last day's church. False, apostate, entering apostasy on its way to apostasy, or true. Biblical love. And so, if you're a pastor, you might have to have these hardcore conversations. If you're an elder, hardcore conversations. If you're, you know, any, any of the pastoral epistles... You apply that to yourself, to the pastors, to the elders. Very special group of people. Not special in terms of, wow, look how awesome they are. Special in terms of like an Acts 20 kind of thing. The first half of Acts 20. That intimate session when Paul called the elders of Ephesus. The Miletus meeting. He called them to Miletus. And he pours his heart out to them. Oh my goodness. I held back nothing from you guys. I poured everything into you guys. And he knows what's... you know, Remember the Holy Spirit. Unbeknownst to us, the Holy Spirit had been... Or in that particular chapter too, the Holy Spirit has been ministering to Paul saying that chains and tribulations await him. And yet he pursued love, Paul. To his death. Desire, he says, and desire spiritual gifts in verse 1. But especially that you may prophesy. Especially that you may prophesy. Very interesting. Because what do we see in chapter 12, verse 8, 9, and 10? These spiritual gifts. We have wisdom, knowledge, faith, healings, miracles, prophecy, discerning, tongues, and interpretation. Then you get into chapter 13. The greatest gift being love. And Paul says, desire spiritual gifts in chapter 14, verse 1, but especially that you may prophesy. Now, prophesy here is to speak under inspiration, to speak divinely, and to foretell events. Now, today, there's major abuse happening today. Major, major abuse happening today. People say, oh yeah, I'm a prophet, I'm a prophetess. They say that. But remember, the Spirit of the Lord Gives these gifts of prophecy. The gift some people do have the gift of prophecy. But remember, God's spirit will never contradict his word. The gifting of prophecy will never contradict the word. Will never contradict. Never. Because in the beginning, Elohim, the triune nature of God. 
plurality in Elohim. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. Because in the last days where you're going to have an abundance of false prophets, as prophesied, presenting false Christs. When you're a Berean and you have the gift of knowledge, you're able to understand, wait a second, this guy is teaching this. It doesn't align with Scripture. This lady is teaching this. It doesn't align with Scripture. This lady is prophesying this. She says she's a prophetess, but she's prophesying this. It doesn't align with Scripture. This guy is prophesying this is going to happen. It doesn't align with Scripture. You see? People like the accolades. People like the titles. People like, oh yeah, I'm a prophet. Look how awesome I am. I'm a prophetess. Look how awesome I am. But they will be judged. There's going to be an abundance of false prophets in the last days. An abundance of false teachers in the last days. But there will be very, very few who teach truth. Very, very few real prophets. They will never contradict Scripture. They'll be hated. them. <laughs> And then don't forget, the two prophets in Revelation, they'll be killed by the Antichrist and the world will rejoice over their death. Oh, they were so mean. They just spoke judgment. They were so mean. The two prophets prophesied in Revelation, God's servants, they will be killed and the world will rejoice. False prophets will abound in the last days. The world will love them. Carnal Christians will love them. But the real prophets, just as the two prophets in Revelation, they'll, they'll have big targets on their backs. People will want them dead. Don't listen to that guy. Don't listen to that girl. They're so mean-spirited. He's so crazy. She's so crazy. They lost their mind. He's lost this. She's lost it. They're so stupid. He's such a legalist. No. Well, I call legal... You know, they call legalism. I call obedience. I mean, really, people say, Oh, you're so legalist. You're such a legalist. Where? How? Tell me how. Tell me how. Oh, you, you told this elder he couldn't be elder anymore. Where, where's the legalism? Where, 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 tell me where. Have you not read? You're kind of exposing your own ineptitude. I mean, having these conversations. Oh, you're so mean-spirited. You shouldn't have done this. Why? The Bible says. You're such a legalist. You shouldn't have done this. Why? The Bible says. Well, it's not in a spirit of love. What? The love in, in accordance to the world? The love that says this lady can marry a Ferris wheel? This guy can marry a dog? Marriage certificate that says, you know, this lady is married to this Ferris wheel. That kind of love? Or the love of the Bible? Which is a gift gift of the Lord, a spiritual gift, the greatest being love. That kind of love where Paul says, commit this guy to Satan. Or biblical love that says, hey, this is leaven, separate the leaven. That kind of love? 
The kind of love like Paul welcomed hell for himself for the sake of his countrymen. That kind of love? Or Paul, how willingly he was to have chains in tribulation and ultimately led to his death, his beheading. That kind of love? You're saying that's bad? You see? Now, people can say, you know, you're such a legalist, you're such a legalist. Now, if, if you're, you know, performing acts of the law, you know, from Leviticus and Numbers in your backyard, you know, it's like, wait a second, you know, they, they would have an argument. Oh, you're such a legalist, you're such a... When somebody says, you're such a legalist, ask them this question. Tell me how. Tell me how. Reveal to me how. Because... You might want to give them a little warning too. You're you're going to, I want you to reveal to me how I am a legalist. But in your explanation, in your revealing, you might reveal something else, which is your scriptural ineptitude. You might be revealing your nature of ignorance, idiotes in the Greek. You might be revealing that. But go ahead, let's see. You see, think of First Corinthians chapter five in the very beginning. In the very beginning, when the leaven in the church hadn't been addressed yet, the guy who was committed to Satan hadn't been addressed yet. Think about wow, you know, I feel at home with this body of believers. This is just such a nice place to be. I like to rejoice here, come here to church and rejoice. Church maybe was a social club. You see? Paul had to address these things. Why? In obedience to the Lord, but to keep the Lord's house clean. In order. In order. There's a lot of abuse when it comes to Prophecy, because people like the titles today. Oh yeah, I'm a prophet, I'm a prophetess. That's what they say. A lady who says, oh yeah, I'm a prophetess, thus saith the Lord. You look at the fruit, like wow, that's nasty fruit. You look at what is spoken, what she says. Oh yeah, thus saith the Lord. The Lord told me this, the Lord put this on my heart. The Lord put that on your heart. You say the Lord put that on your heart, but that contradicts His word. Oh, but that's beside the point. I just feel it. I just feel it. I, I, I feel it in my heart. The numos can be a very dangerous thing because that's the entry of the spirit realm. The numos. The spirit realm, even Satan presents himself as an angel of light. Oh, I just feel it. I feel it in my heart. You know, the Lord is saying this. Maybe it's a lowercase l. Maybe it's an imposter. Maybe it's Satan. Maybe it's one of his minions. Maybe it's a demon that wants to drag you to hell. Presents himself as an angel of light and you buy into it hook, line, and sinker. Oh, 
the Lord told me this. The Lord told me this. The Spirit of the Lord, it's a gift of the Lord. No, 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 no. God's Spirit will never lead anybody into apostasy. God's Spirit will never lead anybody into hell. But as a result of people's choices, remember, strong delusion is a result, result, keyword, result, of people not loving the truth. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, read it. It's a form of judgment. But let's look at this. When Paul says here, desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. Let's look at Acts chapter 11. And in Acts chapter 11, we see this in a particular individual. Acts chapter 11, verse 27, a little refresher course. says, and in those days, the prophets, the prophets, very interesting. And in these days, the prophets came from Jerusalem and Antioch. So you see traveling prophets here, traveling prophets. Now remember, in the last days, we're going to have many, 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 many false prophets, many, 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 many false teachers, many, many false Christs that they present and that they purport as powerful. Remember, in accordance to the workings of Satan, signs and wonders will happen. These false Christs, these false uh, uh, teachers, these false prophets, they will have power, but it's according to the lying works of Satan in accordance with, again, 2, Corinthians, or 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. It's all in accordance with the lying wonders the working of Satan. It's the ushering, the bringing in of the lawless one. That's what happens. The bringing in of the lawless one, the Antichrist. These things will happen. But there will be few, few real prophets of the Lord. Few real teachers of the Lord. And so you see here in verse 27, the, the traveling prophet. And in these days, the prophets came from Jerusalem to Antioch. Then one of them named Agabus. Agabus. Beautiful, beautiful. Don't forget Philip's daughters. Prophetess daughters. You see? The gift of the Spirit. Moved to, you know, moved in their hearts and into his daughters. And their gifting was Prophecy. One of them named Agabus stood up and showed by the Spirit that there was going to be a great famine throughout all the world, which also happened in the days of Claudius Caesar. <clears throat> then the disciples, each according to his ability, determined to send relief. I think this is so beautiful because, you know, there's scary aspects of prophecy. When the, 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 the Agabus comes into town, the, the, the traveling prophet comes into town and says, hey, the Lord revealed by the Spirit that there's going to be a, a, a famine. And there's that scary aspect of prophecy, which is, you know, like, wow, you know, this is going to happen. But then look at what happens at that point. It's like the activation of the church, the activation of ministries. In verse 29, then the disciples, each according to his ability, determines to send relief to the brethren dwelling in Judea. Wow, so the prophet, who, by the Spirit, remember verse 28, by the Spirit, capital S, 
hey, there's going to be a famine over here. You see? For the sake of the body. Prophets are, you know, prophets, false prophets are all about the prophet. You know, P-R-O-F-I-T. False prophets are all about the prophet. Real prophets are all about the body. The Lord and the body. The body of Christ. Edification of the saints. You know, hey, the Lord, the prophecy of the Lord, there's going to be a famine. There's going to be a famine. So now it's like, okay, there's going to be a famine. There's scary aspects to prophecy. But there's also comforting aspects to prophecy too, which we're going to look at in our study. But then look at how it activates the disciples. Look at how it activates the fellowship. Look at how it activates ministries for the sake of the body. Then the disciples, each according to his ability, determined to send relief to the brethren dwelling in Judea. You see? To help. Helps ministries. You see? All this... Uh, money that has been collected, you know, people were giving here, people were giving here. Now we're gonna fund, we're gonna bank all these people. The, the remember the diaspora, how when all this, uh, you know, it, it was like in when the Christian when the persecution came against the saints, then everybody just fled there. Okay, we're out of here. Now it's very easy for rich people to move. Very very easy for rich people to go from point A to point B. Very easy. It's very difficult for poor people. Rich people, I mean, they can have houses all over. They can have a house in one town and a house in another in another town, a house in another state, a condo in another state. That's how rich people are. So it's like, okay, we're going to leave this house and we're going to go to our, you know, our condo over here. We're going to go to our condo in this other state. We're going to go to our condo on this other island, our condo over here, our house over here, whatever. House number one burns down, no big deal. Claim it as a loss. No big deal whatsoever. There's easy mobility to wealth in terms of, you know, the, the, the ease of, of moving. But the poor people, you know how difficult it is for poor people to move when they're living paycheck to paycheck to paycheck to paycheck to paycheck? It's very difficult. Now, we live in America where, you know, you know I, I teach from America. I don't know where you live, but, you know, a lot of people run, you know, the government dole. They like the, 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 the freebies that the government has to offer. And, you know, don't bite the hen that feeds you because they say, oh, yeah, I'll take these government freebies. But, you know, don't infringe on my freedom. Don't infringe on my right for this. Don't infringe on my right for that. They say that with their left hand. You know, how dare you infringe on my freedom? But with the right hand, they're saying, hey, pay me. Pay me. Give me my money. Give me my money for Section 8 housing. Give me my money for food stamps. Give me my money for free college. Give me my money for free this. Give me my money for free that. Now, if you're poor, you know, these are welfare programs designed for you. Legitimately poor. You know, but a lot of people, they, you know, they go on disability. Oh, yeah, I have PTSD. Well, you, you have PTSD? What, your legs were blown off in war? No, this guy called me mean names. I have PTSD because this lady at work called me mean names. She was mean to me. And so I go to the therapist and, you know, he says I have PTSD. And so I filed for... You know, I, I filed for disability. I didn't get it the first time, but I hired an attorney, and the attorney helped me, you know, get my uh, uh, disability. So now I get all this money from the government. Oh, but you're disabled? You have no legs? 
Oh, I have legs. What, what happened, you know? Oh, this guy called me mean names. This lady called me mean names. I have PTSD now. You see, that's what happens. That's the world. The land of the free. The land of the, the, land of the so-called free. With the left hand saying, government, don't infringe on my rights. With the right hand, hey, pay me my disability. That's what happens. Hypocrisy. But the legit poor in Judea, they couldn't move. The rich people, piece of cake. Okay, we're out of here. Yeah, our house might burn down in Judea, but no big deal. We got this house over here. We'll claim it as a loss. In some cases, you know, it's more advantageous to claim it as a loss. I mean, when you look at the good old tax code. What about the poor? Living paycheck to paycheck. They can't move. They don't have the extra cash flow. They don't have assets. They don't have properties as, as assets. The property that they have isn't even theirs. They're renters. You see? And so they remained in Judea. And the, the Lord knows the famine is coming. So he speaks to the prophets, the real prophets, not the false prophets. He speaks to the real prophets. Hey, prophets in, in Jerusalem, there's going to be a famine. So leave Jerusalem and go to Antioch. One of them was Agabus. Agabus, by the Spirit of the Lord, says there's going to be a famine. And so what happens then? The, once this is a scary, scary news. Disciples, each according to his ability, verse 29, determined to send relief to the brethren dwelling in Judea. Okay, we're going to send this money here. This is for, they're out of work. No money for rent. Food provisions. There's going to be a famine. And yeah, the world is going to be suffering because there's this famine. The world is going to suffer through the famine. But we're part of Goshen. And there's light in Goshen. And there's relief sent to the brethren. To the brethren. See? The world is the world. Corinth is Corinth. But to the brethren, there is light in Goshen. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying hate non-believers. But when you look at the book of Acts, when you look at relief, it's always to the brethren. To the brethren. To the brethren. The non-believer, you know... When you look at Israel in the Old Testament, the minor prophets, you know, the Lord gave famine. The Lord gave hardships. The Lord gave very, very terrible things. But it was to bring them back to Him. Sometimes people, they leave the fold of Christ and they experience terrible things. And sometimes these very terrible things are the tools that the Lord uses to bring them back to Him. Because all things work together for good. Sometimes we forget that. I was talking with a, 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 a guy who's in this beautiful ministry, but it's unto uh, uh, like addicts, drug addicts. Beautiful, beautiful ministry. It's pretty hardcore. He says the worst thing you can do is to 
help the addict in this capacity and help. He says, you know what? Sometimes you just got to let them be. Let them be because they're going to suffer in this manner. And if they don't change, they're going to suffer in this manner. And if they don't change that, it's going to get worse and worse and worse. But intervention, you know, it's very holy. You know, you have like intervention with the TV show. That's, that's in accordance with the world. But you can't. There are certain breaks that you have to have in place. Because they're going to suffer in this manner, in this manner. It's going to get worse. But those are the things that bring them back to the Lord. Very hardcore. You see, like you see, go to the zoo. You see the signs at the zoo. Don't feed the animals. Don't feed the animals. You ask the zookeeper, how come you can't feed the animals? Well, you know, they get a dependency on these things. They get a dependency on these things. There's these, you know, human intervention where it's like all of a sudden they're going to, you know, not know how to do this, not know how you can't feed the animals. What do we do as humans? You know, sometimes we enable by our form of feeding all in the name of love. But that's love as defined by the world. This prophet, Agabus, filled of the spirit, he gives this prophecy given to him by the Lord. But now there's relief sent to the church dwelling in Judea. In verse 30 says, This they also did and sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. So you see, there's Barnabas and Saul. They're the vessels by which these funds go into Judea. And they are given to the elders. Now the elders have a responsibility. Now these are elders who are not corrupted. They're not going to, you know, reach into the sack and, you know, get all this money for themselves. This is why the house of the Lord is kept clean. This is why the ministry leaders are kept clean. Paul writes to Timothy. Paul writes to Titus and says, this is the, this are what the elders look like. This is what pastors look like. But there's a reason. They're handling very important things. If you take, you know, the regular average Joe, not full, not just a warm body, not, not, not full of the spirit, not full of wisdom, what's going to happen? Satan's going to corrupt them and say, okay, take this money. Yeah, this, you know, here's $200 for the body. Here's $500 for the body. But here, take, take $100 for yourself. Go buy yourself something nice. That's what Satan says. And the layman does it. Because he doesn't know how to discern spiritual things in the realm of the pneumos. You see? And then corruption enters the church. Corruption enters the church. And then all of a sudden you have these pastors who want to be people's best friends. They love people more than God. They don't teach truth. They don't keep the Lord's house clean. And then all of a sudden the Lord's house becomes a cesspool. But the real teachers, the real prophets, they keep the Lord's house clean. Just like Paul. In the midst of the defunct pastors, in the midst of the defunct elders, there was a pastor, Pastor Paul. He says, hey, cut it out. This isn't good. Let's clean house. And so you have this prophet Agabus, but let's go back to 1 Corinthians 14. I just wanted to give an example of a, a prophet in accordance to the word of God, in accordance to the spirit of the Lord. Because in these last days, you have an abundance of false prophets, an abundance of false teachers who present 
other Christs, other doctrines. And they are assisters into people entering into apostasy because they are apostate themselves. Another sign of the last days. And so Paul says here in verse 1, chapter 14, desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. Why? I thought love was the greatest gift. Yes, love is the greatest gift. But wait a sec, does that mean prophesy? prophecy is right up there? Yes, absolutely. Because verse 2, for he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. It's a prayer language. It's a person unto God. You unto God, you know, speaking in tongues, it's a person unto the Lord. It's a special prayer language. Many people forget Matthew, Matthew chapter 6. Turn with me really quick to Matthew 6. One little verse in Matthew 6, but huge implications. Matthew 6, verse 6, but you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. You see? Pray in secret. Pray in secret. Because your Father in heaven sees you. You go into your... Some people have their prayer closets. Which is fine. What I like about prayer closets is there's no distract, No TV. You know, you don't take your cell phone in there. You know, you mute your phones. You tell everybody in your house, hey, don't bother me. I'm in the... You know, not to be mean, but you know, you know, don't bother me because... You're going to spend time. Don't even tell them, you know. Wait till everybody's gone, you know. Somebody, somebody goes shopping. Kids are gone, you know. Whatever. When you're all by yourself, you go into your prayer closet. You don't have to announce it. But maybe, you know, tell somebody so that, you know, they don't bother you. Mute your phone. Go into your quiet place. And you pray. Your father sees you. Intimacy with Him. And understand that, you know, the gift of tongues. In chapter 14, 1 Corinthians, verse 2, He who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. It's intimacy with Him. For no one understands Him. However, in the Spirit, He speaks mysteries. It's like, you know, code talking. You know, like World War II, you know, you have the, uh, you know, if you're Japanese, I love you, you know, it, 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 this is World War II, and I'm just explaining, but if you're Japanese, if you're listening and you're in Japan, or maybe you're anywhere in the world and you're Japanese, I love you. But just to give you an example of how this works, in World War II, you know, what happened in World War II is the Japanese would infiltrate uh, radio frequencies of American troops, and, or, you know, allied forces, uh, predominantly American in the, in the war in the Pacific, but they would, you know, intercept. So the Americans would be on the radio frequencies saying we're going to, our island ha ha island hopping campaign, it's going to happen in this manner on this day. This vessel is going to move from this point to this point. Uh, the troops are going to land in this this island. And the Japanese intelligence, they would interpret those, they, they would uh, 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 intercept those messages and they would be ready for allied forces, for the American troops, the Navy and, you know, all the troops. And they would kill, they would attack, and win. And so what would happen is that all of a sudden that uh, they took the Navajo Indians, the code talkers. They called them code talkers. Code talkers. 
And so they would communicate on the radio frequencies. And, you know, nowadays we have like, you know, high level encryption. But back then, you know, they, they had the, the, they used the Navajo code talkers. So, you know, all of a sudden the Japanese would get on the radio and listen to the code talkers. Like, what in the world? What, what is this? What do they speak? It's not English. What are they speaking? They go to their intelligence officers. What are they speaking? Is it this? Is it that? Is it, you know, is it, are they speaking, you know, French? Are they speaking Spanish? Are they speaking, what is this language? They bring the, you know, the Japanese who knew how to speak Italian. They say, nope, this isn't Italian. Bring in the Japanese who knew how to speak Swahili. Nope, this isn't Swahili. What in the world? What is this? Navajo. It was the Navajo. They couldn't interpret what was happening. And so we'd have, we'd, the U.S. forces would make these advances. The Allied forces would make these advances. And the island, ha- island hopping campaigns. The code talkers. And I say that, you know, not to, if you're Japanese, I love you, you know. But I'm just giving an example of how this works as believers, as Christians. In verse 2, speaking in tongues, for no one understands them. However, in the Spirit, he speaks mysteries. It's a special special language. It's a special language. But don't forget, tongues will fail. Eventually. You say, you say, what do you mean tongues will fail? Maybe I shouldn't say tongues will fail, but tongues will cease. In verse, chapter 13, verse 8, whether there are tongues, they will cease. It's going to come to an end. Because it's a special prayer language. It's a special heavenly language. But in our glorified bodies... When, you know, in the heavenly realm, when these things are all made apparent, all these things are made manifest, there's not going to be a need for it anymore. But on this side of eternity, it's speaking in mysteries. And so in verse 3, but he who prophesies, which is not the gift of tongues, it's the gift of prophecy. But he who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men. Speaks edification, which is the building up. Exhortation, which is to comfort, to implore, to... And warning is also not excluded. Remember Paul's exhortations? There's also warning. Just like Agabus gave warning. Hey, the the famine is coming. But exhortation and comfort to men, which is consoling to men. And it's not for a person... It's not for the prophet... A lot of false prophets are concerned about their own prophets, money, filthy lucre. Oh yeah, I'm a prophet of the Lord. I'm a prophetess of the Lord. Therefore, sow this $10, sow this $100 bill, sow unto me, sow unto me. Real prophets of the Lord, they don't care about money. They care about the body of Christ. I was watching this show. It was on a different, one of the cable channels, but a so-called Christian channel. And it was a false teacher, but the false teacher, he had on his pulpit a bunch of fruit. He had, you know, banana, apples, and he was saying, okay, if you want to have, you know, bananas, you sow the banana seed. If you want to have the apple, you sow the Bible seed. Then he pulls out his wallet, pulls out a $100 bill. He says, well, if you want more money, then you have to sow like this. And then he puts it in the offering cup, the offering plate. And then they start passing the plate around. Oh my goodness, wow. And it just breaks my heart. You know, I, I don't like that when I see it, but what breaks my heart is when the camera pans to the audience. I hate I hate that. Not that I hate the audience, but I hate it when the camera point pans to the audience because these are people who are seduced by his lies. I don't like that. 
But real prophets, real teachers, they're not concerned about money. They're concerned about souls. And so look what happens here. In verse 4, he who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, builds himself. It's, you know, because it's a prayer language. You know, not building himself like the false prophets. The false prophets build up their, their assets, their wallets. But when you're speaking in tongues, it edifies self because it's your prayer language to God. It's, you know, very personal, very private. That's why we looked at Matthew 6, verse 6, and your prayer to God, it's very personal, very private. Go into your prayer closet and pray in secret because your Father sees you. But he who prophesies edifies the church and builds the church, which is the body, the body. Very important. Now, if, you, if you're listening and you're Pentecostal, if you're listening and you're charismatic, sometimes I get asked too. That's the danger of topical messages. That's the danger of topical messages because sometimes a, a Pentecostal pastor can teach Acts chapter 2 and he's like, okay, you know, I get it. So the evidence of the Holy Spirit is the speaking of tongues and therefore I, I, don't, I don't feel, I don't have that gifting of the Holy Spirit so I'm going to fake it just so I can prove I have the gift of the Spirit. Maybe convince myself that I have the gift of the Spirit so now I'm going to fake speaking in tongues and I'm going to speak gibberish. This lady speaking gibberish so I'm going to do like her. I'm going to speak gibberish too. This guy speaking gibberish so I'm going to speak gibberish too. And you look at the church, and it's like, wow, everybody's speaking gibberish. Oh, topical message here. Topical message for 10 years. And in those topical messages, the pastor never gets to 1 Corinthians 12, 1 Corinthians 13, 1 Corinthians 14. Because it's just topical messages. But no, you can read Acts 2 and be like, wow, you know, the Spirit moved on, uh, 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 on on the believers here, and they all spoke in tongues. Wow, praise be to the Lord. Maybe I can speak in tongues too, and therefore I'm going to pray that I speak in tongues. And then you're going to keep reading. You're going to get to uh, Acts 2. You're going to finish the book of Acts. You're going to finish Romans. And then you're going to get to 1 Corinthians. You're going to get to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. You're like, whoa, wait a second. There's other gifts of the Holy Spirit. Tongues is one of many. And then you get into chapter 13, you're like, wait a second, I'm like a, 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 a sounding brass or a clink. Some translations say an annoying sound, an annoying symbol, an annoying drum. If I speak in tongues and don't have love, then you get into chapter 14. You're going to get to chapter 14 and you're going to read, he who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. And in verse 2, you see, he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. For one does one does for no one understands him. You say, wait a second. I go to church and I see everybody speaking in tongues. It's like, what about these other gifts? So that's fine if you're Pentecostal, charismatic, and you know, you're Acts chapter 2. And you're like, okay. This is evidence of the Holy Spirit. You're going to get to these chapters in, in 1, Corinthians, uh, 1 Corinthians. You're going to see these chapters. Don't forget there's other gifts. There's other gifts. Tongues is one of many. In verse 5, Paul says, I wish you all spoke with tongues. I wish you all spoke with tongues, but even more. Because, you know, it's, it's beautiful what we see here because Paul's desire is pure. He's not saying, I wish you all spoke with tongues, you know, just point blank, like, you know, period. 
but the gift of tongues is a, is a beautiful gift, but it's one of many, and it's not the greatest gift. And it's also evident that not everybody speaks in tongues because Paul says, I wish you all spoke with tongues. Now, you look at a Pentecostal church today, and if you're Pentecostal, I love you. If you're charismatic, I love you, but let's see what the Bible says. It's evident here that not everybody in the church in Corinth among the remnant speaks in tongues. Because Paul says, I wish you all spoke with tongues. Which means that not all spoke with tongues. So does he say that all of a sudden, okay, so now you all have to speak in tongues. No, he doesn't say that. He says, but even more that you prophesied. Remember, not everybody prophesies either. Remember, there are different gifts. I'll read chapter 12, verse 8 again. Chapter 12, verse 8, 9, and 10. You see, there's the gift of wisdom, knowledge, faith, healings, miracles, prophecy, discerning, tongues, and interpretation of tongues. And so we get into 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 5. And what do we see? He who, For he who prophesies is greater than he who speaks with tongues. Wait a second. Does that mean that there's like, you know, uh, that one is exalted higher than another who speaks in tongues? No. Greater here, this word in the Greek is greater, but it's in terms of age as an elder. It's like there's more maturity, more maturity with he who prophesies. Don't forget, prophesy. A lot of times people say, oh yeah, I'm a prophet. Therefore, the Lord says this is going to happen in the future. But don't forget, prophesy, prophecy in verse 3. Prophecy includes the edification, which is building up. Prophecy includes exhortation, which is to comfort, implore, and warn. And it also includes the, what it says here, comfort, but it's consolation. That's what it includes. You see? And the gift of prophecy says in verse 1 that you may prophesy, which is to speak under inspiration. It's to uh, 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 speak divinely and to foretell events. A lot of times people say, oh yeah, I have the gift of prophecy and I tell what's in the future. Well, that's the application of that gift, the, the, the employee of that gift can be to foretell future events, but don't forget, there's also edification, exhortation, and comfort. The gift of prophecy. Don't forget. And don't forget the greatest gift. Because remember the math equation that we looked at last week? If it's prophecy minus love, it's nothing. Tongues minus love? Knowledge minus love? No, love plus. The greatest gift, love plus. And then the Holy Spirit gives. The Holy Spirit uh, gives. And so we see here in, in verse 5, for he who prophesies is greater than he who speaks with tongues unless, so there's an exception here, unless indeed he interprets. You see, so this interprets is another gift. This interpret is to translate, to expound, to explain thoroughly, and to make clear. Unless indeed he interprets that the church may receive edification. You see, that the body, the ecclesia, may receive edification. You see? Tongues, speaking in tongues, 
is for self. Is for self. You see, in, in, in verse 4, he who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. It's a prayer language. Intimacy with God. Don't forget, when you pray, do it in private. Matthew 6, verse 6. Private. You go into a Pentecostal church, you go into a charismatic church, and what do you see? Sometimes you see crazy towns. Sometimes they'll tell you, oh yeah, if you have the gift of the Holy Spirit, you'll speak in tongues. It's evident. Speaking in tongues is evidence that you have the Holy Spirit. Evidence that you have the Holy Ghost. That you have the Holy Ghost. There's other gifts. Tongues is one of many, and it's not the greatest gift. And then we see here that this uh, exception, unless there's interpret, unless indeed he interprets that the church may receive edification. Tongues is for self. Interpretation is for the body. What does that say about the charismatic movement we see today? What does that say about the mainline Pentecostals that we see today? And I'm not talking messed against the charismatic and the Pentecostal. But I will speak against the charismata. I will speak against the crazy town. A lot of times where you see this, you know, this uh, 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 hard line approach to speaking in tongues where, you know, it's evidence of the Holy Spirit, evidence of the Holy Ghost. It's also where you see a lot of immaturity in the body of Christ, where you see a lot of baby believers. You know why I say that? Because just like I says, you know, you, you read Acts 2 and, you know, eventually you're going to go through Romans. You're going to get the 1 Corinthians. You're going to get the 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 13, and 14. Well, such a person never gets here. They never get to 1 Corinthians 12. They never make it to 1 Corinthians 13. They never make it to 1 Corinthians 14. What does that say about their own growth in the Lord? Maybe they like hearing the topical messages only. And I, I'm, I'm, me personally, I, I don't, this is me personally, I don't like topical messages. I do not like topical messages. And I, you know, very rarely, I, I think maybe we've had like in the span of, you know, multiple years, just several topical messages, you know, as the Lord leads, you know, very, very, I mean, like, I think I can count on one hand and I have all five fingers, <laughs> But a lot of times you have people, they like to teach topical messages because they'll teach Acts 2, but they won't teach 1 Corinthians 12. They'll teach Acts 2 till they're blue in the face, but they won't teach Acts 12, 13, or 14. Tongues is a prayer language. Tongues is a heavenly language. It's for self-edification. Your own edification between you and the Lord. Your, not exaltation, not self-exaltation, self-edification. You before the Lord. You see? And this exception is that there needs to be interpretation of what is being said in the Spirit so that the church may receive edification. He says here in verse 6, But now, brethren, if I come to you speaking with tongues, what shall I profit you? I love this. How this translates is, you know, there's no use. There's no advantage. There's no benefit. And this is Paul speaking about himself. He says, if I come to you speaking with tongues, 
what shall it profit you unless, and here's the exception, unless I speak to you either by revelation, which is apocalypsis, by revelation. Remember, Agabus, what we read in, in, in Acts, Agabus had revelation by knowledge. He also had knowledge by prophesying. Remember, verse 1, you know, uh, uh, the, the, the desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. Or, uh, uh, that you may prophesy. And, and here in verse uh, 6, not by prophesying or by teaching. This is instruction and doctrine. So you have the disciples. The disciples, they received the message of Agabus and they activated. Boom. Okay, there's a famine. We got to take care of the brethren in Judea. Let's send them. There's going to be a famine. Let's send them food. They're going to be hard up for cash flow. Let's send them some money. The brethren. The body, taking care of the body. Just like the body has red blood cells and white blood cells. Look at what your heart, I mean, not look at your heart, but your, you have a heart inside your body. It's pumping blood. It's pumping blood. Blood is pumping. You get a cut on your hand. You get a cut on your leg. You get a, a cut on your toe. Your, your big toe, the tip of your big toe, you get a cut. I say that because that's the furthest distance. I'm just, I don't know. I'm assuming, I don't know, you, you know, your body style, but you know, I'm assuming it's the farthest part away from your heart. You get a cut on your toe, your big toe, the very tip of your big toe, the furthest distance away from your heart. But your heart is pumping blood. All of a sudden, look what happens. The red blood cells, the white blood cells clean everything out. The red blood cells, you know, they do, you know, whatever they do. <laughs> it scabs up, you know. They harden, you know, take one for the team. They harden, you know. And then all of a sudden, in the course of time, what happens? The, the heart is pumping blood and, you know, the, the blood is leaking. So what the heart is pumping, some is leaking out now. But what's leaking out, you have, you know, the red blood cells that harden, you know, taking one for the team. And then all of a sudden the white blood cells, they clean everything out. Keeping everything clean. See how beautiful this is? The body taking care of the body. The heart pumping blood. You know, supplying blood for the body through the veins but then you look at the body of Christ, the church, the ecclesia. You see the same thing. Here you have the church in, in, in uh, 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 Iconium or uh, um, in Antioch. In Acts chapter 11, you have the church in Antioch. And then all of a sudden, Agabus comes into town. Agabus, what's wrong? What's the matter? You know, the, you know there's a famine coming. Is it here yet? No, not yet, but the Spirit, the Lord told me. It was coming. You know, therefore, give me $10,000. You know, that's what a false prophet would say because he's concerned about the prophets. But Agabus comes into Antioch. says, no, in Judea, it's, there's a, 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 a famine coming. You know, is it here yet? No, it's not here yet. Okay. Okay. And I love this because what happens to Agabus? He doesn't say, give me $10,000. He just makes the prophecy known. The disciples activate. They take a collection and they send relief and they send it to the elders through Barnabas and Saul. It's like the red blood cells, the white blood cells. You see? Boom. You know, just like the heart pumps blood all through the body. Look at the toe, the cut in the toe. You know, there's there's a need at the toe. You know, speaking of the blood cells, there's a, a need in the toe. So all of a sudden the blood cells activated. Boom. Okay, we're going to patch things up. Blood cells are going to harden. 
take one for the team, you know, and then the, the white blood cells, you know, they're going to clean everything out. Everything's good to go. In a week, you're, you're straight. You're good to go. You see, all pumped from the heart. What about the heart of our Lord? The heart of our Lord that knows that famine is coming. Knows that there's going to be pain in Judea. Knows that there's going to be a cut in Judea. All of a sudden sends Agabus, you know, the heart of the Lord. Caring for the body. Agabus comes into Antioch. You know, thus saith the Lord, there's a famine coming. Okay, you'll send relief. Boom, relief comes. Paul, Barnabas, you know, go. How beautiful is this? The body, taking care of the body. And so let's go to chapter 14 again. 1 Corinthians 14. In verse 7, even things without life, whether flute or harp, when they make a sound, unless they make a distinction in the sounds, how will it be known what is piped or played? You look at a two-year-old with a flute. You know, a two-year-old with a flute, it's like, okay, what in the world is being played? There's no tune. There's no semblance of a tune. But then what do you take? That same two-year-old who has grown, who has matured, and is now auditioning. He's 25 years old, auditioning for a spot with the symphony. You know, not a cheesy symphony, a good symphony. Munich. You see? In verse 8, For if the trumpet makes an uncertain sound, who will prepare for battle? Now, say we're warriors in base camp. Old school warriors, Old Testament warriors, fighters. Well, what would happen, say we're in base camp. You know, we're just, you know, uh, getting some food, getting some intake because, you know, we're, we're fighting a battle. So we come back in the base camp, get some food, refill our ammunition, sharpen our swords. We do all these things because we're fighters. We're warriors. But then at the top of the roof, at the top of the building, and you have these like watchmen, watchmen on the wall. And they're looking out, you know. One click out, two clicks out, three clicks out. They get their binos. And they're looking out. And all of a sudden, they see the enemy coming. They pull up the, the, the trumpet or the shofar. They pull up the trumpet and they can't. They just blow like a little, little squeak. What happens to the warriors in the base camp? We're going to still keep eating. We're still going to keep sharpening our sword because the sound that we hear is just a little squeak. It's not the sound for war. It's not the sound to prepare that the enemy is coming. It's not that sound because that so-called watchman, he is unlearned. He doesn't know how to blow the horn. He doesn't know the tune for what commands this, what commands that. But the real watchman sounds the horn and it's the sound for war. It's the sound for battle. It's the sound that the enemy is coming. It's the sound for it is time to fight. We hear that sound. So say we're in base camp. We've been fighting all day. You know, we've been fighting for months, for weeks. We come back to base camp. We get our food. We fill our ammunition. We sharpen our swords. All these things. And then all of a sudden we hear that. We hear that sound. The call to action. Okay. It's handle business. It's time to dance. You see? In verse 8. For if the trumpet makes an uncertain sound, who will prepare for battle? So likewise you, unless you utter by the tongue words easy to understand, how will it be known what is spoken? Very interesting. 
very interesting because what happens among what's happened very common in the church today is that you have a lot of pastors and teachers they like to be considered academic they like to be considered it, it's almost like an elitist mentality i mean you listen to like you know I can name names, but, you know, some of the uh, popular so-called learned people, especially ones who say that it's okay to take the mark of the beast. (laughs) I'm not laughing at that it's okay to take the mark of the beast, but there are identifiers, biblical identifiers, especially among these people. And they're lauded by men. They like to use big words. They like to speak like, oh yeah, look how smart I am. Look how awesome I am. Look, I I use these big words. You don't even know what I'm talking about. I use these big words. And they think that's good. But the Bible says it's not good. Because what about the people? How is it that fish are going to become lambs? How is it that lambs are going to become sheep? How is it that sheep are going to become shepherds? If they don't know. You see? How you're, you're going to use these words. You're going to speak in this language. You're going to say. But how will they know? How will there be edification? You see? He says for you will be speaking into the air. It's like it's for nothing. And when that happens. Growth is stunted. Growth is arrested. Development is arrested. Just like what happened in Corinth, arrested development in the church. And what do you see when there's arrested development? You also see not the works of the Spirit. You might see works of the Spirit a little bit, just like there was in Chloe's household. But you're going to see the works of the flesh grow. It's going to become like a cesspool, like a swamp. That's how it's going to be. That's what happens. We have a biblical model of what happened to Corinth. He says in verse 10, in verse 10, there are, it may be so, I love this so much because there are, it may be, that it may come to pass is how it translates. I love this so much because even Paul was prophesying. There are, it may be so many kinds of languages in the world. I mean, Paul might have been accustomed to, you know, Hebrew and Greek, maybe a little bit of, maybe a little influence of, uh, uh, I don't know, Ethiopia, maybe a little bit. I mean, when you look at the, 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 the global factions in that particular time, I mean, we're so spoiled today because it's like, we know that, yeah, people speak Chinese, people speak Swahili, people speak, you know, uh, 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 French people speak all you know uh, Paul I, I don't know if, if he understood that you know all the different languages of the world I doubt it he knew that there were these languages but maybe he didn't know the extent of how many languages and that was 2,000 years ago but here we are so many years into the future and we have so many more languages and I love how even Paul a little little gift of prophesy here not that he had a little gift. I mean, he had the gift, but we see the exposure of it. The gift of prophecy. There are, it may be so, it may come to pass, so many kinds of languages in the world, and none of them is without significance. I love this so much. They are all important. 
You speak Swahili, it's important. You speak French, it's important. You speak German, it's important. You speak Hebrew, it's important. Spanish, it's important. All of it important. Why? It's to win souls for Christ. In Swahili, God loves you. In German, God loves you. In Hebrew, God loves you. And he sent his son to die on the cross because he loves you. Life for life. To take your sin away from you so that you can have life with him. The language is important. But Paul says this in verse 11, Therefore, if I do not know the meaning of the language, I shall be a foreigner to him who speaks, and he who speaks, with a for- and he who speaks with, will be a foreigner to me. So interpretation is necessary. I speak English. But what if I go to a French church? I, I'm in France. I go into a Christian church in France. How is... It's, it's, it's like... It's pointless. It's pointless for the sake of edification from the word, edification from what is taught. You know, I'll probably make friends. Hopefully they're, you know, they're not going to take me grave soaking. And if they say, hey, you know, uh, voulez-vous, whatever, however the French, but voulez-vous, when they speak their French, it's like, a, I'm like a smiling, okay, okay. But the whole time they're saying, hey, let's go grave soaking. Let's go do this. Let's go take the mark of the beast. We'll still be saved. I'm not going to know. But then all of a sudden, it's like, wait a second, what if I I speak English and then somebody comes and sits next to me who speaks French and English? So the pastor gets up and says these things and then the guy whispers in my ear, okay, yeah, this is what he's saying. And I'm like edified, like, oh, wow, I get it now. Okay, wow, praise the Lord. This is cool. Praise the Lord. You know, hey, after this, you want to go get some, you know, I don't know, whatever you guys eat in France. You want to go get some of this? You know, let's, let's, let's get some. You see, making friends, edification, you know, comfort. And the guy's whispering in my ear, yeah, this is what the pastor says. But what the guy says, okay, the pastor says after church, we're going to go grave soaking. Like, what? Wait a second here. Where's the edification in that? There is no, it's like all of a sudden, it's like th- certain things are exposed. Speaking in this heavenly language it's beautiful when it's, you know, it's the edification of self, but in the edification in the body requires interpretation. Otherwise, it's like me going to a church in France. Nobody speaks English. There I am sitting in the pews in a French church. Everybody's speaking French. And I don't know what in the world is happening. I'm just going with the flow. You know, where's the edification? This is foreign. It's like Paul says, I shall be a foreigner to him who speaks, and he will be a foreigner to me. Even so you, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, let it be for the edification of the church. See, the ecclesia that you seek to excel, it's not for self. It's for others. It's for the body. Interpretation or prophesying. Prophesying, you know, Paul says desire prophecy, but to prophesy, it's for the body. Tongues is personal. But with interpretation, now it's for the body. Therefore, in verse 13, let him who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret. You see? Because it's for the body, the ecclesia. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. Whoa. You see what's happening here? So yes, speaking in tongues is a prayer language. And if in your prayers, in this prayer language, which is, very intimate in your prayer closet, very private. 
And I make emphasis on this because I've walked into church buildings before. Where it's like everybody's speaking in tongues and you're like, whoa, what in the world is happening here? But it's a prayer language. He says, if I, this is Paul speaking about himself. If I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. Very interesting about tongues here. You see? Often, you know what happens with this gift of tongues? There's, this is often, not all the time, but often there's no depth with understanding. No depth in understanding. Because what we see in verse 14 understanding is unfruitful because it's a prayer language and sometimes it's the spirit that intercedes just like what we read in Romans the spirit making intercession in verse 15 what is the conclusion then I love this I will pray with the spirit comma no period I will pray with the spirit and I will also pray with the understanding very interesting it's the two together it's very dangerous when it's done without understanding very dangerous without understanding because the numos, the numos, the spirit realm, without understanding, well, you're opening yourself up to the spirit realm. If you want to do these things in accordance to the numos, you're opening yourself up to the spirit realm, and in the spirit realm, you have demons who present themselves as angels of light. Deception. Deception. You see? And people don't know how to fight. Spiritually, they don't know how to fight. So you open yourself up to the pneumos. You want to speak in tongues and pray in tongues, but, you know, it, the under, as in verse 14, understanding is unfruitful. So there's no understanding. Oh, but my pastor told me this. That's, hey, I get it. Was it topical? Yeah, he, he always speaks Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 2. The evidence of the Holy Spirit is me speaking in tongues. So therefore, I don't know if I'm speaking in tongues. I'm just going to fake it. And so I'm going to fake it. I'm going to speak. What you're doing, you're opening yourself up to the pneumos. It's dangerous when it's done without understanding. That's where you see people say, oh yeah, thus saith the Lord. No, no saith the Lord. That wasn't the Lord. Oh yeah, the Lord wants me to do this. You're a novice. It's dangerous. You say the Lord is calling you over here. It's very dangerous. You open yourself up to the pneumos and you have no idea the dangers that entails. Now, when you're open up to the pneumos, yeah, it, it's it's dangerous. It can be dangerous. But what happens when you're like fully armed? You're not a novice. You're fully armed. You're ready to go. You're equipped. It's very, very dangerous when you're open to the pneumos. But you yourself, you're also dangerous. You see, just like Paul. Open to the pneumos. A dangerous environment. But Paul was also very dangerous. He could be take he could be on the defense and he can also go on offense. You see? Very dangerous environment, but Paul himself was dangerous. Philip, very dangerous environment, but he himself was very dangerous. And I mean dangerous in a good sense. Dangerous to Satan. Dangerous to evil. Paul was dangerous to Satan. Dangerous to evil. 
Very dangerous. Very interesting because Paul was dangerous to the church when he was Saul. Very interesting. What the Lord can do when Paul was, when he himself got in the ark. Very interesting what the Lord can do. You see? You open yourself up to the numos. It's very dangerous when you don't have understanding. Even pastors, they open themselves up to the numos. And they say, yeah, the Lord is calling me over here. The Lord is calling me over here. They open themselves up to the numos. They've been speaking in tongues. Yes, they say, oh yeah, I have the gift of tongues. I have the gift of tongues. And maybe they're a jerk. Well, tongues minus love, it's nothing. You have devolved into nothing. And you open yourself unto the numos, the spirit realm. And because, yes, you say you speak in tongues, but your understanding is unfruitful. You're ill-equipped to understand that this calling that you're receiving, it's demonic, it's satanic, it's an attack to kill you, to kill your family. Oh, but the Lord is doing this, the Lord is doing this. Don't go. Don't do it. You see? All of a sudden people go and boom, they die. Think of like a two-year-old on the front lines of a hot zone. Not not even on the front lines, in base camp. Nice and safe in base camp. And a two-year-old. All of a sudden, oh yeah, the Lord, I'm open to the numos and the Lord is calling me over here. So therefore, I'm going to leave the threshold of base camp and I'm going to join you on the front lines. It's like, wait a second, you're a two-year-old. What's this two-year-old doing here? This is dangerous. Get this two-year-old. All of a sudden, a two-year-old breaks ranks and goes like further into, you know, oh yeah, the Lord is calling me. The Lord is calling. The whole time it was a trap. And the two-year-old just gets slaughtered by the enemy. Destroyed by the enemy. Why? Because they're a novice. They're a little two-year-old. And now, I'm not to say that, you know, I'm just giving this example of like a child going into combat. It's very dangerous. But this child, this two-year-old, if he or she stayed in base camp, became a five-year-old, became a 10-year-old, became a 15-year-old, has greater understanding, what's happening is that two-year-old is now 15 and is now dangerous. That's a dangerous 15-year-old. That's a dangerous 15-year-old guy. That's a dangerous 15-year-old girl in a good way. Dangerous to the bad. And now, all of a sudden, that 15-year-old leaves the threshold of base camp, joins on the front lines, and everybody looks around and has a big old smile on my face. All right, you know, here he is, here she is joining me on this battle. You know, let's handle business. You know, breaks ranks, you know. Maybe that breaks ranks and becomes point. And everything's fine. Everything's beautiful. Because the engagement. Yes, there's a defensive posture, but, you know, we're on offense. You see? So when you're a novice, if you're open to the numos, it's beautiful to be open. And And I... I, I, I desire that. I want us all to be open in the new, the heavenly realm. But without understanding, it's very, very dangerous. Very, don't do it. If you're without understanding, if you're an ignoramus, if you're an uh, idiotes, and I speak in the Greek just as Brother Paul does, if you're an idiot, and you say, oh, that's so mean-spirited. Paul says it, idiotes in the Greek. Translates as 
ignorant, ignoramus, idiotes, an idiot. If that's you, spiritually speaking, you don't know these things. And that was me, you know, back in the day, like 25 years ago, that was me. I didn't know. I didn't understand these deep things. It would have been very dangerous for me to be open to the pneumos. And you know what? I was open to the pneumos. And it was dangerous. Today, being open to the pneumos, beautiful. But you have to have understanding. You have to have knowledge, which are gifts. Because it's the heavenly realm. Not just that. I shouldn't say the heavenly realm. It's the spirit realm. And in the spirit realm, there is good and there is evil. You see? And Satan's a fisherman too. Never forget that. Satan is a fisherman too. And Paul says, what is the conclusion then is in verse 15? I will pray with the spirit and I will also pray with the understanding. He says this, I will sing with the spirit and I will also sing with the understanding. I love this because gifts accompany other gifts. Love you know, plus understanding, plus prophecy, plus tongues, plus interpretation, you see? And a people of God moves on to perfection. You know, Paul had multiple gifts. Some people have multiple gifts. The gift of love is beautiful. But then some people have, just as, you know, chapter 13, verse uh, 13. Now abide faith, hope, and love. The greatest of these is love. You can have love and then all of a sudden you gain faith, more faith, more hope. And then all of a sudden understanding, you see, understand and then knowledge and then maybe tongues and interpretation. Some people have multiple gifts, wisdom, wisdom and understanding is sometimes, you know, uh, interchangeable. Sometimes it's like, you know, part and parcel. Some people have multiple gifts. And Paul says, you know, the greatest gift is love. He says, desire, prophesy. You know, especially that you may prophesy. He says in verse 1, chapter 14. Why? For the sake of the body. Yes, tongues is beautiful. It's a prayer language. It's private. It's a heavenly language. But desire interpretation because once that happens, then now it's edification of the body. You know? He says, to have understanding. When I pray, I will pray with understanding. When I sing, I sing with understanding. There are some songs that churches sing in worship, which I don't, I don't permit, you know, as, as pastor. There are certain songs I won't permit because it's worship I don't want to get off topic too much, but, you know, it's written here. Just sing with understanding. You know, worship is very close to the heart. Very close to the heart. I mean, it evokes so much feelings and emotion. And when worship songs are sung, it, it breaks down certain barriers in a heart. And when that happens, if certain lyrical influences yes a song might be good yes a song might have you might think it has the best of intention maybe the songwriter has the best of intention but because a person is kind of nudged into the pneumos lyrically speaking 
some songs which are considered worship are very dangerous. And there are certain songs, it's like, okay, we're not doing this song. We're not. I know it's popular. I know people love it. I know. I know. You know. Uh, people like that emotional aspect of it. I know, but we're not doing that. Why? Because what happens in the body is that you're opening up to the numos, which is beautiful. It's good, but it cannot be without understanding, because it's dangerous without understanding. You see. Oh, that's so mean. That's so judgmental. No, it's discernment. It's safety for the body. It's safety for the lambs. It's safety for the sheep. And I've had people tell me, you know, talk to a worship leader. Hey, don't do that song anymore. We're not doing that song. How come? Well, let's look at the lyrics. You see how this lyric says? Oh, yeah, it's beautiful. That's my favorite part. Okay, now let's open up the Bible and see what the Bible has to say about that particular lyric. About this, you know, this uh, several lyrics. About the conglomeration of these lyrics. Let's see what the Bible says. About this particular topic that you know is being sung. That you desire to sing. That you prayed about. And you said the Lord put this on your heart. But let's look at what the Bible says. The Bible says it's over here, 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 and here. What spirit are you listening to? You see? It's... it's Satan takes these cheap shots. He doesn't play fair. You know, I say, you know, you and me, I say, you know, a two-year-old goes into war and gets destroyed. And you're like, oh, that's so like, you know, why a two-year-old? Ooh, that's kind of, I can understand maybe a 20-year-old because they're able to fight. But a two-year-old? Oh, come on. That's, that's, that's a low blow. Don't do two-year-old. Satan doesn't care. He'll take a two-month-old baby and slaughter that thing. He doesn't care. He doesn't play. He doesn't care. He wants to kill you. He wants to destroy you. So this, you know, oh, that's too hardcore. You know, that, that this is a beautiful song. You know, people cry. Well, it's, you're opening up to the numos. Very hardcore when you look at worship music. Because worship music has to align with scripture. It must align with scripture. And if it doesn't, don't do it anymore. Pastor, you know, the worship leader goes off into crazy town. Now you're activated. You have a job to do. Look at what happens here in verse 16. <clears throat> Otherwise, if you bless with the Spirit, how will he who occupies the place of the uninformed say amen? You see, of the uninformed. This is in the Greek, idiotes, the uninformed, unlearned, and ignorant. If you bless with the Spirit, how will he who occupies the place of the uninformed say amen at your giving of thanks, since he does not understand what you say? This is, you know, the idiotes that stays idiotes. I'll say it in English. The idiot stays an idiot. The uninformed stays uninformed. The unlearned stays unlearned. Or how else can it be put? The baby stays a baby. You see, that was a problem in Corinth. It wasn't a good thing in Corinth. Since it wasn't a good thing in Corinth, why do we call it good today? Why do we say it's a beautiful thing today? No, we move on to perfection. 
not having attained, not having count ourselves as attained, but pressing forward, we move on to perfection. The idiot stays the idiot. The unlearned stays unlearned. The ignorant stays ignorant. The uninformed stays uninformed. The baby stays a baby. Moving on to perfection, order is necessary. Order is necessary. Order is godly. Biblical. You see? Just as there was disorder in Corinth. You know, the leaven's been taken care of. The Lord has cleaned house. Okay, now let's get order in the hearts of the people. This division has happened. Okay, now let's get order in the hearts of the people. In their marriages, you know, let's address marriage. Okay, in their homes, let's address the home. Let's address their hearts. This brother who went into crazy town, he went into crazy town. He was leavened. He's not here anymore. This lady who went into crazy town, okay, the Lord clean house, she's not here anymore. Now, let's get order. Let's get order in your marriages. Let's get order in your friendships. Let's get order in your jobs. Let's get order in your homes. Let's get order with your kids and, you know, order in the church now. In verse 17, for you indeed give thanks well. But the other is not edified. You see, there's no corporate growth. Just like in Corinth, you have those in Chloe's household, which were beautiful, a beautiful fellowship in Chloe's house. Beautiful fellowship. Maturity happened. But what about the church at large in Corinth? You see? Corinth had its fair share of defunct pastors and defunct elders. But it came at a heavy cost. At heavy cost. It pains me. To, to read chapter 5, that those are painful chapters. I mean, we're, we're not, we're done with certain subject matter. I mean, in Corinth, eh, for the most part. But if you remember, like, like we're, we'd go through, I mean, chapter 1, 2, 3, beautiful, 4, beautiful. Chapter 5, still beautiful, but painful. It was hard to, dis now, if you remember these studies, like, wow, that, I can't believe this was happening in Corinth. This is hard, hardcore subject matter. It's beautiful, yes. Difficult, yes. Must it be said? Absolutely. Absolutely, because the Lord's house must be cleaned. Absolutely difficult, difficult, difficult passages. It came at a heavy cost. That's, that's what happens when you have defunct pastors and defunct elders. It comes at a heavy cost. And people take the godly prophets, the godly teachers, the kind that the Antichrist will kill and the world will love that they're dead. Those ones who receive that hatred from the world and even hatred from the church those are among the most loving people I have ever met in my life. You know why? Oh, they caused division. They caused division. That's so hateful. That's so mean. Do you know what happens when the Lord comes again and He divides? I mean, He divides spiritually now. People have to make a choice. But when the division that is coming happens, 
it's not like the division that happens today. The division that happens today is spiritual. And even in that pneumos, in that sense of the pneumos, which is the spirit realm, you still have a choice to make. You always have a choice to make. I'm not a Calvinist. I'm not into Reformed theory. I don't teach that it's okay to take the mark of the beast. I align with scripture. Do not take the mark of the beast. Now, if you're like, what is he talking about? He keeps t- talking about this. When, you're done, when we're done with this study, listen to the message. Do not take the mark of the beast. You're going to have to search for it. But you'll find it. Do not take the mark of the beast. Listen to that. You'll know exactly what I'm talking about. But these, when the Lord, he divides, the first time he came, he divides. And his spirit still divides. He still divides. But the second time when he comes, that division that happens, that is what the Bible calls the separation of the wheat and the tares. The wheat is preserved. And you know what happens with the tares? They're burned. Burned. Oh, but this guy, he's so mean. This lady, she's so mean. They're legalists. He's such a legalist. She's such a legalist. Those are among the most loving people I know. Why? Because they're attempting to save you. They're attempting to save, to pull people, just as Brother Jude says, as through fire. To prevent that division, that that when Jesus comes the second time, that separation There's finality to that, which is burning like a fire when the choice is made. Lake of fire, which, you know, what, which happens at the end of the thousand years, but there's that preservation until the lake of fire where there's burning and gnashing of teeth. It's not a pretty picture. Oh, but my pastor tells me hell is fake. Hell is just, you know, figurative. Get a new pastor. That's a wolf. And so look what happens here in verse 18. I think, my God, I speak with all tongues more than you all. I love this. Is Paul being prideful? No way. Think of the tongues. That, I mean, you know, I wonder, you know, Paul, is it five? Is it 10? Is it 20? I don't know. I think, my God, I speak with tongues more than you all. Is it the number of tongues or is it the amount that he speaks? Maybe just nonstop. When he prays to the Lord, I wonder what Paul's prayer life was like. Praying in tongues? I don't know. Maybe like instead of five minutes, maybe five hours. Maybe 20 hours. Maybe he just takes a day off and not doing this, you know. But a day off for Paul isn't like a day off for most people. Maybe he takes a day off and just, you know, 24 hours, just... On his face before the Lord. Praying. Lord. I need direction. Where do I go? And Lord. You know. You know. We sowed seeds over here. Lord. You know. Grow those seeds. Those people who beat me. Lord. I pray for them. Those people who hate me. Who want me dead. Lord. I pray for them. Now that's Paul's intimacy with the Lord. And the Lord. You know. Having oneness with him. But don't forget. You know. The Lord would also like. You know. Give him. Uh, prophecy. Remember the Macedonian call? Give him direction. Just that beautiful intimacy. How beautiful is that? Oh, that was for another dispensation, the fool would say. The Holy Spirit doesn't move like that anymore, the fool would say. But then you look at the fruit of the fool. 
You can see. It's evident. The fruit of the fool. It's not pretty. It's not the fruit of the Spirit. Definitely not the fruit of the Spirit. Oh, but that was for another dispensation. The Holy Spirit doesn't do miracles anymore. The Holy Spirit doesn't do tongues anymore. The Holy Spirit doesn't do this anymore. The, whole, where, the Bible. Look, let's, chapter 12, verse 8. Wisdom, knowledge, faith, healings, miracles, prophecy, discerning, tongues, and interpretation. Oh, the Holy Spirit. The fool says the Holy Spirit doesn't do that anymore. There's no expiration date on the, you know, God the Elohim, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You're putting an expiration date on the Lord, who is sovereign. You say He's sovereign, act like He's sovereign. You say He's sovereign, behave like He's sovereign. You say He's sovereign, okay. Repent unto the sovereign. And so look what happens here. He says, I thank my God in verse 18, 1 Corinthians 14. I thank my God I speak with all tongues more than you all. Yet in the church, Ecclesia. So Paul, I speak in tongues more than you all. Not prideful. Is he speaking about the number of them? Like two different languages? Ten different dialecta? Five different dialecta? I don't know. Or is he speaking maybe two dialecta, one dialecta, but instead of one hour, ten hours? I don't know what, I don't know. But he says he thanks God that he speaks with tongues more than you all, he says. Yet in the church, so in his own private prayer language, him and the Lord, his intimacy with the Lord, when he employs, when he applies and employs uh, Matthew 6, 6, his own private time in secret before his father. But in the church, he does something different. Yet in the church, in the ecclesia, in the assembly of saints, I would rather speak five words with my understanding, with my intellect, that I may teach others also, than 10,000 words in a tongue. Whoa. Whoa. What are five words? God loves you. That's three words. God loves you, my friend. There you go. Five words. God loves you, my friend. Five words. Paul would rather say those five. I mean, you know, any five words I did, you know. Paul would say five words like that. Instead of speaking 10,000 words in a, in, in, in a tongue. That he may teach that in his form of teaching with those five words. God loves you, my friend. That's hardcore. And Paul speaks more tongues. And he said, more tongues than any of you, he says. And Paul says, five words is better. What does that say of the Pentecostal today? What does that say of the charismatic today? Now, if you're Pentecostal charismatic, I love you. You lean on Acts chapter 2, praise be to the Lord. I lean on Acts chapter 2 myself. But let us also lean on 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Let us together move on to perfection and have this understanding. Let us also lean on 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. These passages was, which explain the manifold gifting of the Holy Spirit. 
you see. Paul's Paul's very, what he's saying here is his maturity reveals these multiple gifts that he has. He, he doesn't just have wisdom. He doesn't just have knowledge. He doesn't just have love. He doesn't just have faith. He doesn't just have hope. He speaks in tongues. More than any, any of you all, he says to the church in Corinth. You see, multiple gifts in one vessel. But think about his gifts when he got on the boat, got on the ark. Think about his gifts. He might have had a certain level of understanding, but that was in accordance to Torah. The law. You see? He had to understand, get this understanding. And the Lord revealed it to him. Just as our communion message today. It was revealed unto me. You know, I delivered to you that which was delivered to me. You see? Brethren, in verse 20, do not be children in understanding. However, in malice, be babes. In depravity, be babes. Be babes. In wickedness, be babes. That's how that translates. But in understanding, be mature. You know what happens today in the church? The exact opposite. Professionals in sin, but babies in understanding. Do you see how the enemy is at work in the church? The exact opposite today. What does the Bible say? Be ch- don't, don't be children in understanding. Let us move on to perfection. Let us mature in Christ. However, be babies. Be babies when it comes to malice, when it comes to depravity, when it comes to wickedness. Don't be a professional when it comes to, you know, all these works of the flesh. Be a baby when it comes to those things. Don't toy around with those things. In understanding, be mature. In the law, it is written, with, me, with men of other tongues and other lips, I will speak to this people. And yet for all that, they will not hear me. You see, says the Lord. God calls. Who answers? Who answers? Therefore, tongues are for a sign. Very interesting. Tongues are for a sign. So what is the sign? Tongues are for a sign. But it's not for those who believe, he says in verse 22. Not for those who believe. Very interesting. So tongues are a sign. Not for believers. Paul, what are you getting at here? But to unbelievers. Very interesting. But prophesying is not for unbelievers, but for those who believe. Very interesting. So, tongues is not for believers. It's for the unbelievers. You see? And prophesying is not for unbelievers, but those who believe. Now, understand order in the church. There must be order in the church. The leaven has been dealt with. You have a remnant now. Now the remnant needs to be Shaped, soft hearts molded by the Lord using the vessel Paul. The leaven has been dealt with. The leaven is outside the camp right now. Now we're going to get into 2 Corinthians pretty soon. And in 2 Corinthians, in a couple more weeks, in 2 Corinthians, you're going to see passages where it says, okay, those brothers who were leavened, bring them back in. You know, bring them back in. Because when they come back in, number one, they're the minority. Number two, Now you have more mature Christians. 
Number three, these more mature Christians can influence these people instead of these people in accordance to the flesh influencing the saints. Now it's the saint, the mature saints who are now the influencers. You see, order in the fellowship. How beautiful is this? How beautiful is this to see maturity happen? Yes, be open to the numos, but not without understanding. You don't have understanding? Don't be open to the numos. You get understanding, you know, the gift of love. And then as you grow, as you mature, you're going to get understanding. Now you open to the numos. There are very few, very few people who I can speak to about deep spiritual things. Very few people. Because to the young Christians, and I don't say this to boast, but to the young Christian, it can be dangerous because you speak about deep spiritual things and all of a sudden this young believer is open up to the numos without understanding. It's dangerous for them. Now, if you're a mature Christian, you have to be very careful with who you speak to about deep spiritual things because a young believer who is a brother, is a sister in the Lord, immature, maybe they've had arrested development for five years, ten years. You're helping them open up to the numos, but they don't have understanding. It can be dangerous for them. And it is dangerous for them because they open themselves up to the spirit world. You see? And the spirit world, it's a very, very dangerous place. It's much better, just as Brother Paul says, when he says, I will, uh, I will also pray with understanding. I will sing with the spirit. I will also sing with understanding. It's much better for you to have this understanding and then open yourself up to the numos. Because what happens, it's a very dangerous realm, the spirit realm. But what happens when you yourself are dangerous in the Lord? Dangerous in the good sense, meaning that you're an opposing force to Satan. You're an opposing force to the demons. So you have to be very careful when you're speaking with the less mature. And it's sad. I mean, it's, it's beautiful, but it's also sad. It's beautiful because you're caring for these young believers, but it's also sad because it's like, man, you know, it's one thing if they're a brand new believer. But if they've been a baby on milk for 10 years, it's sad because it's like, wow, you know, you, sh you, you ought to be a pastor by now. Just like Hebrews. Hebrews 5 says. I'll read it. Hebrews 5 verse 12. For though by this time you ought to be teachers. You need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. You see. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age, that is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. You see? Ten years on milk? Twenty years on milk? Some of you ought to be teachers by now. Some of you ought to be elders by now. But you need someone again to teach you. The first principles of the oracles of God. You see? And so, so let, let's look at 1 Corinthians 14, verse 
23, therefore, if the whole church comes together in one place and all speak with tongues and there come in those who are uninformed or unbelievers. So this is like the uh, uh, idiotes or apistos in the Greek. Those without uh, who are uninformed, ignorant, and uh, unlearned or unbelievers. Very interesting here. So yes, you know, you have people taking a hard line with church. Church is for believers only. Yes, church is for believers. Praise be to the Lord. But don't forget the door is open. Just, you know, just as our uh, communion message. The door is open. An unbeliever here is, you know, and, and, and in verse 23, and there come in those who are uninformed or unbelievers. The non-believer, they walk in the door. You have no idea what walk that unbeliever has, has had in his or her life. Maybe they've just left the temple of Diana. They're just, they're just strung out. I'm done with Diana. I'm done with, you know, whatever God or goddesses he or she was worship, worshiping. You know, I used to go to the priestesses of Diana and they wanted to have sex all the time. And I was worshiping and, you know, that God performed this for me, that God performed that for me. And so I was listening to these priests and priestesses. But I'm just so strung out on that. I'm done with that. What's this walking down the street? What's this? Oh, a Christian church. I've heard about Jesus Christ. The people of the way, I've heard about that. Let me check it out. All of a sudden, this person walks in, walks in the door. You have no idea what walk this person has had. A non-believer walks in the door. And Paul says this in verse 23. Will they not say that you are out of your mind? Crazy, straight up crazy town inside the church. That's what happens in verse 23 when, you know, uh, the whole church comes together in one place and all speak with tongues. And this non-believer walks in. Whoa, these people are crazy. What is happening? These people are nuts. And rightfully so. This non-believer unto the believers. Rightfully so when the gift of tongues is not used properly. Biblically. The gift of tongues is beautiful, but there must be order in the church. What happens to that non-believer? Non-believer comes in, you know, I'm so strung out on Diana, I this, that, I'm done with that. Walks into the church. See straight up crazy town. Everybody's speaking in tongues. Okay, I'm out of here. These people are crazy. These people are nuts. And he would be right. Because there's no order in the fellowship. In verse 24, but if all prophesy and an unbeliever, an uninformed person comes in, comes in, he is convinced by all. He is convicted by all. He is what Charles translates. He is admonished or uh, uh, admonished or uh, convinced by all. And he is convicted by all, which is anacrino, is to scrutinize anacrino by all. Don't forget that this uh, conviction, this conviction, if all prophesy, don't forget that prophesy. When we looked at uh, 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 verse 1, that prophecy, prophesy, it's to speak under inspiration. It's divinely and it's to foretell events. But also in verse 3, prophecy includes edification, exhortation, and comfort. So a non-believer or an unlearned person, uninformed or non-believer, walks in. Strung out on Diana. Comes in. Everybody's speaking in tongues. Okay, I'm out of here. These people are crazy. 
But no, walks in, and then all of a sudden, instead of everybody speaking in tongues, everybody prophesies. And everybody prophesies and understanding that, yes, there's this aspect of prophesy, prophecy, which is uh, to, to, to foretell future events, but there's also edification. There is also exhortation and comfort. So the guy, the girl comes in, is strung out on Diana. Strung out on Diana. I'm done with Diana. I've been just used and abused. The girl walks in. All the women can come in. Hey, come in. It's okay. It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. Comfort. It's going to be okay. Here, sit here next to me. It's going to be okay. You know what? I, I used to believe Diana too. I was also strung out on Diana. But it's okay. Here, sit next to me. The old lady has her arm around this, you know, younger lady who's strung out, used and abused under under the uh, lordship, lowercase l, of Diana, who was an idol. Unbeknownst to her, she didn't know. But now she's so strung out, all of a sudden the old lady puts her arm around this younger lady. Come here, it's okay. Sit down here. Let me give you comfort. You see? Prophecy. The gift of prophecy. This is what the Bible... Diana says this. This is what the Bible says. You know, you don't have to go into like a huge... You know, don't break down Christianese. Don't be like straight up, you know, oh, washed by the blood, you know. Start speaking Greek and Hebrew. Like, like what? People think you're crazy. Sometimes just sitting next to a person is comforting. You see? Come here. Come sit next to me. Let's listen to what this pastor has to say. People say prophecy, the gift of prophecy. It's all about foretelling events, foretelling this, foretelling this. Oh yeah, thus saith the Lord, this is going to happen. Thus saith the Lord, this is going to happen. You know, praise the Lord that, you know, lucky for them, we're not in Old Testament times because when they say, oh yeah, thus saith the Lord, this is going to happen. It doesn't happen. If we were in the Old Testament, they'd have to be killed. But the Lord will judge. He judges the false prophets. They just don't fear him. That's why they get away with it. You see? But the Bereans, they know. They know. You see, if all prophesy and an unbeliever or an uninformed person comes in, he is convinced by all, he is convicted by all, it's to be admonished or convinced and anacrino scrutinized by all. So the lady comes in, strung out on Diana. Hey, you know, come over here. The old lady comes, hey, come over here. It's okay, you sit next to me. I was on Diana. I, I was with Diana too for a while. But I was strung out just like you are. Let me tell you about Jesus Christ. And this scrutinization. All of a sudden, because this old lady is not a hypocrite. She's not, oh, okay, you know, hey, don't worship Diana anymore. Meanwhile, in her own private life, she's worshiping Diana. No, she's not like, she's not a hypocrite. She is biblically equipped to tell this young lady about Diana being an idol. And to tell this young lady about Jesus Christ. And to teach this young lady. And pour into this young lady. And this young lady, because of the scrutinization of this older lady, can all of a sudden say like, wow, you know what, here's a lady who was like me. She was strung out. And man, I'm, I'm comforted by her. Unbeknownst to her, she's comforted by the Lord because this old lady is not full of herself. 
She's empty of herself and full of the Holy Spirit, new wine. And this new wine is being poured out on this formerly non-believer who is now, her heart is being now made soft by this new wine, ready to receive, receptive to holy things. You see? This old lady is a fisherman. She's on the top of the boat. You know, just listen to our communion message. You'll know what I'm talking about. Praise be to the Lord. You see how beautiful this is? And you look at the church today, you realize like, wow, we've, we've aggregate, aggregately speaking, we've gone into crazy town. Even that alone is prophetic. Because the Bible says, in the last days, the church will go into crazy town. And the church will become crazy town. And before judgment befalls the earth, judgment will befall the church. Judgment comes first in the house of God. You see? But the remnant. There's light with Goshen. There's light in Goshen. In verse 25, And thus the secrets of his heart are revealed or made manifest and made public. Today, it's just the opposite today. You see how effective Satan is in the pneumos, how he can trick unsuspecting people? Because look at what he does. It's the exact opposite what we see today with, you know, what we looked at earlier in verse 20. Do not be children in understanding, however, in malice be babes, but in understanding be mature. Satan has flipped the tables. And here in verse 25, and thus the secrets of his heart are revealed. And you know what happens today? Satan also flips it around because people are open to the pneumos and they're ill-equipped. And Satan just has a heyday. Why? Because today, people have their secret lives. Their secret lives refusing to be convicted and convinced by other Christians. By other Christians. They refuse. Oh yeah, don't judge me lest you be judged. I'll be a Christian in name only. A chino. A Christian in name only. You see? It doesn't work that way. Satan has flipped the tables. In verse 25, And thus the secrets of his, hearts, his heart are revealed. You see? Made manifest. Made public. Today, people don't like that. They have their secret sin. Oh yeah, I'll speak Christianese, but I also do my crack. Don't tell anybody. They don't tell anybody. Oh yeah, I'll speak Christianese. I'll say praise the Lord hallelujah, but I'll also do my sex. I'll also do my alcohol. I'll also cheat on my taxes. I'll also do this. It's just a little white lie. Little white pornography. Little white stripper. You see? Little white crack. They make excuses for sin. The carnal behavior. Oh yeah, I'll just do my Ouija boards. It's white witchcraft, so it's okay. I'll go grave soaking, no big deal. I'll go ahead and take the mark of the beast, no biggie. You see? Satan has flipped the tables. Why? Because you have babies. A large number of babies. Now, babies are beautiful. But babies don't stay babies forever. You see? They have to grow, they have to mature. Look what happens here. And so, 
And so, so what's the benefit of that? The, 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 the sin being made manifest and revealed the secrets of his heart. And so falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is truly among you. See, order, order. Where there was disorder in Corinth, order. So the non-believer comes in that example. Uh, see, 30-year-old female woman, 30-year-old female, strung out on Diana. The priestesses used her to attract the men. Oh yeah, you want to worship Diana? Diana will treat you nicely. Do you worship Diana? And you know, you'll be rich. You'll have all these things. And all of a sudden, they say, okay, man, you want to worship Diana? Here, look, you know, you have sex with this girl. You have sex with this lady. And the lady in worshiping Diana, she says, okay, I'm going to... Because she doesn't know. I say these things and I don't say it loosely. I, I understand that there are grotesque aspects of these things. But how does she know? Be very careful. Be very careful, my beloved brother. Be very careful, my beloved sister, when you see the works of the world. Because yes, there are very, very, very disgusting aspects of the world. The fruit of the flesh. Very, very disgusting. I don't deny that. But how will they know? How do you expect these people to know if they've never been told how do you expect, you know, you they, they can't know unless somebody tells them. They can't know unless they are taught. Now, if they're in the church, that's another thing. That's, a, that's an entirely different world. Because they should know. They need to know. And if they don't know, you know, maybe they brought judgment unto themselves or maybe the pastor has brought judgment unto them. Because the pastor failed to teach defunct pastors, defunct elders, just like it was in Corinth. So this lady, 30 years old, believed in Diana, worshipped Diana, and Diana just kicked her around, used her, and abused her. Spiritually and physically and emotionally. She comes, walks into the church. Walks inside. She says, I'm done with Diana. She's walking down the street, sees the church, walks inside. The old lady comes, oh, you know, you know, introduces, hi, I'm, you know, the lady says, oh, you know, I'm, I'm done with Diana. The old lady says, here, come, come over here. Just sit down next to me, sit on the pews. Puts her arm around her, comforts her, gives her her sweater, you know, puts it on her, a little sweatshirt, drapes it over her shoulders. It's going to be okay. You know what? I used to worship Diana. When I was your age, I used to worship Diana. You know, or... Maybe not when I was your age, but, you know, a couple years ago, I used to worship Diana. Or maybe a different God, you know. I used to worship her, too. And I know where you're at because I was there, too. Here, let me, let me introduce you to my friend Chloe. I do Bible study in Chloe's house. <laughs> so she has the old lady who worships the Lord and studies the Lord in Chloe's house. And then she has straight up Chloe on her other side. And these two beautiful women surrounding this other woman who's strung out on Diana. Here, let's listen to what the pastor has to say. The pastor teaches. Not the defunct pastor. Somebody who has replaced him and is now teaching truth. Keeping the Lord's house clean. 
service is done. The lady, you know, the old lady says to the younger, all these things. And then all of a sudden, what is revealed in her heart? That Diana is deep in her heart. Diana is very, very deep in her heart. And the secrets of her heart are revealed. And when that happens, because you have like, you know, the old lady and then straight up uh, Chloe on the other side. It's not that, nothing like, you know, you're going to burn in hell. You're going to burn in hell. You're going to burn in hell. Just comfort. Comfort. The gift of prophecy. Her secrets of her heart are revealed. The deep hold that Diana has. And it's addressed. The gift of the Holy Spirit. Now you have this gift of love plus this gift of prophecy. You see, adding on, adding on. And Chloe has understanding and wisdom. And so does the old lady because, you know, when Corinth was going crazy, when Corinth became crazy town, you know, the defunct pastors, defunct elders, they had their separate Bible fellowship in those in Chloe's household. And now the secret of the secrets of this lady's heart are revealed. And what does she do? She falls down on her face and worships the Lord. Wow, God is truly among you, you see? And now this old lady and Chloe, they were fishermen, fisherwomen. And they caught a fish. Order. That's with the gift of prophecy for the sake of the body. Now, if this lady walked in and everybody was speaking in tongues, crazy town, I'm out of here. These people are nuts. These people are crazy. And she would have an argument. Biblically speaking, she would have a case to make. And she's not even a believer. That's what happens when you have this abuse of the gift of tongues or topical message about Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 2. Evidence of the Holy Spirit is that you have to speak in tongues. Then you kind of get like basket case, basket case Christians because they know they don't have the gift of tongues, but they fake it. And they like, they're worried like, man, the Holy Spirit, I don't have the Holy Spirit because I don't speak in tongues. They worry. They're afraid. I don't have the... And they start to get into works-based salvation. They know they don't speak in tongues, so they fake it. They know it's gibberish. And so they get into works. Okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this for the church. I'm going to do this. I'm going to work like this. All of a sudden, they become Marthas instead of Marys. So you have a bunch of Marthas. Yeah, they speak gibberish. They think it's tongues, but they speak gibberish. And the pastor teaches Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 2. It's evident though. Speaking in tongues is evidence of the Holy Spirit. No. I mean, yes, it's one of many. But there are more. There are more gifts. The greatest being love. So you take love. Just like this old lady in my example. Just like the old lady. Her gift of love. But you add to her prophecy. You add to that knowledge. You add to that understanding. Why? Because when Corinth was going into crazy town, she was preserved in the household of Chloe. In a little Bible fellowship there in the household of Chloe. You see? Now this lady who was formerly strung out on Diana is now receiving comfort. Her heart, which was formerly hard in accordance to, to, to Diana, not receptive to the things of the Spirit of the Lord. Now all of a sudden, in this gift of love, her heart is chipped away a little bit softer. 
The old lady speak. You know, the pastor would speak, okay, a little bit softer heart. The old lady would speak, a little bit softer heart. Chloe would speak, a little bit softer heart. The whole time, circumcision is happening. I mean, you look at, the, the, you, you, you have a freshly born baby. You take your baby to the doctor and boom, that procedure of, you know, taking the scissors or, you know, the, you know, the, the surgical scissors and making the cut. Circumcision. But in a church, in that example of the church service, you know, strung out ladies from Diana is coming into the church. That's what's happening. Circumcision. Some, maybe some of it even painful. Wow, I'm convicted by what this lady's telling me. Wow, I'm convicted by what this lady's telling me over here. I'm convicted by the words of Chloe. And then the pastor speaks. Wow, I'm convicted by what the pastor says. Painful. There's that painful aspect. But the whole time circumcision is happening. And then she falls down on her face. And she worships the Lord. You see? It doesn't happen when the gift of tongues is abused. Everybody's speaking in tongues. The lady comes in. I'm out of here. Everybody's crazy. And biblically, she has a case. Paul says this. Now, understand the leaven has been dealt with. The leaven has a speaking to the remnant. Now, verse 26. How is it then, brethren? How is it then, he says. He asks, brethren, whenever you come together, each of you, each of you, which it's... uh, Hekastos in the Greek. Hekastos. Every man and every woman. Hekastos. Each and every one of you has a psalm, has a teaching, has a tongue, has a revelation, has an interpretation. Let all things be done for edification. It's for the building. It's not to boast. It's not to showboat. It's for the body. Have you ever walked into like a fellowship and everybody has something to say? Wow, you know, here, look, here's this song. Hey, look at this teaching. You know, here, look at it. Hey, let's speak in tongues. Oh, yeah, there's this revelation. That's it. The interpretation. Okay. I'll... Wait a second. Hit the pause button. Is this, is this, is this right? Remember, order. There must be order. No confusion. No chaos. There must be. There might have been chaos before. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, 1 Corinthians chapter 4. But chapter 5 has already been read. Chapter 5 has already been studied, which means what? The leaven has been dealt with. It's for edification, for the body. If anyone, in verse 27, if anyone speaks in a tongue, let there be two or three, two or at the most three. I'll, I'll repeat this. If anyone speaks in a tongue, let there be two or at the most three. I'll say it again. If anyone speaks in a tongue, let there be two or at the most three. So three max. Each in turn and let each interpret order. There must be order. You say, why, why did he have to read this? Why did he have to read this multiple times? Because you see abuse in the church today. Not one person speaking in tongues. You have straight up 10 people speaking in tongues. Yes, 20 people speaking in tongues. Depending on the size of the church, if there's 100 people, you have 100 people speaking in tongues. Paul says, okay, speak in tongues. But let there be two or at the most three. So three max. Three max. 
And each in turn, not everybody at the same time. Each in turn, one person speaks in tongues. Okay, that guy's done. One person speaks in tongues. Okay, that lady is done. Next person speaks in tongues. Okay, that guy is done. Each in turn. And then let one interpret. You see? So somebody speaks in tongues. Okay. Is it interpreted? Where's the interpretation? Okay. Next guy, next guy speaks in tongues. Okay. Where's the interpretation? What is it that is being said? And then, you know, that's two. Let there be two. But then Paul says, at the most three. Okay, so let's be gracious here. Let's have the third person. Let's exercise grace and let's allow the third person. So the third person speaks in tongues. Is there interpretation? Okay, no interpretation. Therefore, what happens? Verse 28. But if there is no interpreter, let him keep silent in the church. No tongues. No tongues. If there is no interpretation, no tongues. And let him speak to himself and to God. So these people who, you know, first person gets up, says something in a tongue, no interpreter. Okay, second person gets up in a tongue, no interpreter. It could end there, biblically, it could end there. But a third person, okay, let's exercise grace. Third person gets up, speak in tongues. No interpreter, okay, no more tongues. We're not speaking in tongues, everybody. This is where the elders and the pastors come into play. Order. There must be order. I would say the elders come into play so that the pastor can teach. But the elders come into play. Hey, no speaking in tongues. We tried it, you know. We, the numos. It's very important. The numos, the spirit realm. It is a very beautiful environment. But it is also... A dangerous environment. Think of like the wild. You know, like a beautiful... I mean, you see like nature pictures, you know, like posters and calendars. Beautiful, beautiful scenery. You know, a forest. You know, trees stretching out of like, you know, a, a, a bed of fog. You know, the morning dew close-ups. Beautiful camera angles. Beautiful. The sunrise, the sunset. But if you were there... <laughs> Not like I like looking at the pictures, but if you were there, do you know how dangerous that is? I mean, depending on temperature, nighttime comes, it can be extremely cold, which is dangerous in itself. If you're in a desert environment, the sun, the heat of the day, it can be a dangerous environment. The nighttime comes, the creepy crawlies come out, the snakes come out, the wolves come out. You know, the tigers come out. They're on the hunt. Spider bites. Poisonous, you know, frogs even. You touch a frog, you touch the wrong frog, you're toast. I mean, you know, you're not going to die, but you have like a big rash. And if, you know, depending on how you touch it, where you, die, you could die. Little, little frog. Spider bites. It's a very beautiful, beautiful scenery. Picturesque. People make money off of their pictures. But if you were to be there, it's a dangerous environment. Now, if you're equipped, if you're like a survivalist, you know how to survive off the land. You know, you know okay, don't touch this, don't touch this. You take, you know, a rifle with you. You take a gun with you. You have a knife, you have the, you know, the axe, you have the hatchet, all these things. You're a survivalist. It's no big deal. 
You're ready. You're equipped. So the elder, the pastor can teach and teach freely. The elders are the ones who come into play and say, hey, no tongues. We try, you know, we were open, you know, we opened to the, the gift of tongues, you know. Okay. If, as the Lord leads, the gift of tongues, one person, okay. Is there an interpreter? No. Okay. Second person, is there an interpreter? No. Okay. Third person, you know, we, we could end it there, but let's be gracious and say the third person. At most, three, max, three max. Okay, no? Okay, now the elders. Okay, no more tongues. No more tongues. What do we see in the churches today? You see everybody speaking in tongues. Everybody, no interpretation. Everybody's just going into crazy town. Now, you can lean on, on Acts chapter 2. Praise be to the Lord. But also let us lean on 1 Corinthians 14. Also let us lean on 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. You see? He says, let two or three prophets speak. Now, I have to say something too, or actually in, in, in verse 28, but if there is no interpreter, let him keep silent in the church and let him speak to himself and to God. So now it goes into privacy. You speak in tongues? Okay, let it be in your prayer closet at home. Go home, go into your prayer closet, your own private time. You before the Father, where nobody else knows because your Father in heaven sees you. If you're a pastor... If you're listening and you're a pastor, if you're listening and you're an elder, pay attention. Pay attention. If you're Pentecostal, pay attention. If you're charismatic, pay attention. Because there must be order in the church. Does that mean you restrict tongues? No, not at all. There must be order. Now, a lot of churches go to the extreme. They say, because we see, the, uh, because we see this abuse... You know, they set up these things where they, they're called afterglow sessions. Where after church, you know, there's these people who want to exercise their gift of tongues. They go into a private room. They go into a private room. And what do you see there? Crazy town. You know, it's not to say, okay, let's not be crazy in public. Let's be crazy in private. No. There still must be order. You say, oh yeah, we're going to have this afterglow session. You go into the door of the afterglow session. What do you see? Crazy town. There needs to be order. After glow session, okay, there must be order. Somebody speaks in tongues, let's wait for the interpretation. No interpretation, okay, we're done here. Another guy wants to speak in tongues, okay, let's give, let's, let's see if the Spirit has something to say. Okay, nothing. Okay, the third guy, let's see if the, the Spirit wants to speak through this lady who has the gift of tongues. Nothing, okay. Adjourned. You see, sometimes people, churches, well-meaning pastors, they say, okay, the Bible says this, so, you know, we're going to pull the plug on this, but we're going to have these afterglow sessions. And you go into the afterglow meeting, and what do you see? Crazy town. No order. Then you wonder, like, wait a second, is this just to, is this just to save face? So you can, you know, take these people and, you know, give the people what they want, but you're trying to save face? No, there must be order. In accordance with what the Word of God says, there must be order. In verse 29, let two or three prophets speak and let the others judge. Let the In the Greek, this is the, uh, when it says let the others judge, there's the implication of those with wisdom. 
Let the others judge. Now, this is diacrino. I mean, communion Sunday. We, we looked at crino and diacrino, which is to discern and to discriminate. We do this among our, for ourselves, for the sake of ourselves, but we also do it for the sake of the body. Let, let, uh, so in verse 29, let two or three prophets speak and let the others judge. It implies those with wisdom in the Greek. Let them diacrino, which is to discern and to discriminate. So a prophet speaks. A person says he has the gifts of prophecy. A person says she has the gift of prophecy and speaks, you know, this is what the Lord revealed to me. Okay? Now those, this others who are judging, these others who are diacrino, exercising their, uh, 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 their gift of discernment, which is another gift of the Spirit. Look at Chapter 12, verse 10, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits. Discernment as a gift of the Spirit. So the prophet speaks. Okay, this aligns with Scripture. Praise be to the Lord. We have a prophet. We have a person with the gift of prophecy in our midst. So now look what you have in the Ecclesia. Look at the equipping that you have in the Ecclesia. Somebody speaks in tongues. Somebody interprets. You have those with uh, 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 the gift of discernment. Those who have the gift of prophecy, which have been scripturally and biblically vetted. People today just say, oh yeah, I'm a prophet. What? You can't just, you know, like name it and claim it type of stuff. Oh yeah, I'm a prophet. Oh yeah, I'm a prophetess. The Lord told me this. You didn't test the spirits. You didn't measure what this was, what was said with the word of God. Oh yeah, I did. The Bible says this. Okay, don't forget. It is also written. You see, Satan is a fisherman. Satan is a threat to the church. A threat to the church. We don't, People don't like to say that. People don't like to think that way. Say, oh, I, I want to go to church where it's nice and safe. I want to be safe. Yes, it can be safe when truth is taught. It's definitely safe. Oh, I want to go to church where it's nice and safe. So yeah, take my 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 ten year old daughter and put her in the with this youth group leader, who's a pedophile. It happens. You say, well, I don't like how you talk that way. It happens. And it's going to get worse in the last days. Oh, oh, yeah, it's nice and safe here. And that's physical harm to a child. But what about spiritual harm? What about spiritual harm? You see? And spiritual harm, into, I mean, you know, Paul says, you know, commit this guy to Satan. You know, that's spiritual harm. No, it isn't. It's love for the remnant. It's protection for the remnant. It's also love on that individual because he's, he says it might be that his soul may be saved in the day of the Lord. That's what happens with the destruction of the flesh. Paul says to Titus, these people who teach things they ought not to teach, he says their mouths must be stopped. Oh, that's so mean spirit. No, it's not. It's love. It's for the sake of the remnant. For the sake of truth being taught. I mean, who would get a beautiful, beautiful puppy and feed that puppy poison. Who would take a beautiful little lamb 
and feed that lamb poison. A wolf would do that. A demon would do that. Satan would do that. But God's servants would never do that. Never. Because holy lamb and holy sheep feed on holy seed, which is the word of God. And so, let's look what happens here. Uh, In verse 30. But if anything is revealed to another who sits by, let the first keep silent. You see, let the first... If anything is revealed to another... So, say this person who... Say, okay, a prophet stands up. Thus saith the Lord. That person is done speaking. Then you have another person who has wisdom and understanding, which is a gift. Says, okay, that aligns with Scripture. This is biblically accurate. Okay, so therefore, you know, we have a prophet in our midst. Praise be to the Lord. And then another person says, but if anything is revealed to another who sits by, let the first keep silent. So the first person holds their peace. So say, for example, that that, that person who was judging, Say he has he or she has the gift of knowledge, the gift of wisdom and understanding. But he or she is kind of working things out in their mind. Okay, Scripture says this here, but then over here. Okay, this could align this way. It might align this way. Just making things fit. Exercising their gift. Yes, they have a beautiful gift. But then a brother is sitting next to her. And stands up and says, okay, you know what? Uh, This is what is revealed. Because he was able to put the pieces together, to piece it all together. And says, okay, it is biblically accurate. Well, that lady, that first one, she keeps silent. She holds her peace. Holds her peace. It keeps silent. Is that how it translates? She holds her peace. She's not vying for a position. She's not saying, okay, yeah, this guy has the gift of knowledge, the gift of uh, uh, wisdom, but mine is better. So, you know, he says this, so I'm going to say my piece. The same would be if it were the other way around, different sexes. The man in his mind, he's working things now. Okay, scripture says this over here. Okay. But then the lady stands up and says, okay, this is biblically accurate. This prophecy that is being prophesied by this prophet, it aligns with scripture. Praise be the Lord. We have a prophet in our midst. You see? Order. Order. What you see in the church today is everybody's vying for it. It's like pole position. They want position over you. They want, okay, look how awesome I am. I have the gift of this. I have the gift of tongues. No, it's not tongues. It's gibberish. I have the gift of tongues. Is there an interpreter? No. Okay, keep silent. You see? Three max. Three max. So you have a church with a hundred people. And a hundred people are speaking in tongues. That's not good. At the most, three. That means 97 people have to be told, hey, keep quiet. 90, that means the majority of the church has to be told, keep quiet. Don't speak. In, the majority of the church has to be told, don't speak in tongues. What pastor would do that? A man pleaser? A people pleaser? A person, a pastor who loves people more than God would never say that to the people. But a pastor or an elder 
who loves the Lord more than the people, who fears the Lord more than the people, who doesn't care about money, and would gladly, would be more than willing to tell 97 people, hey, don't speak in tongues. Don't speak in tongues because the Bible says at most three. You have a thousand people in your church. A thousand people are speaking in tongues. That means you have 997 people to say no tongues. Now, if all those people say, if if you have a thousand people in your fellowship and a thousand people speak in tongues and 997 people say, you're so mean, we're going to go to this other church, you're going to be broke. You'll be broke. Instant loss of income. You're broke. But you know what? God-fearers and God-lovers, they don't care about the money. People will leave you. But there's a remnant. Three people will stay. I mean, Lord willing. But three people will stay. 997 will leave. But three will stay. Praise be to the Lord. That's your remnant. Three people. People will make fun of you. Oh, your church is just three people. Let them. Let them. <laughs> You'll have a remnant. Let them say what they want to say. You have a, Because you please the Lord. You're not trying to please man. You're pleasing the Lord. Obedient to the Lord. You see? But no. What do you... Like, we're studying this. I'm saying these things. And I'm not trying to imply that there's... I mean, that's what's so beautiful about the last days. And it's going to get worse and it's going to get bad. But one of the beautiful aspects of the last days is that like a hundred years ago, if I would say like in the last days, it's going to look like this. You'd, you'd really have to use your imagination to think like, well, I don't get it, but. He says Israel's going to be a nation, but Israel's not even a nation. They're kind of like a forgotten people. You see? But as things come to pass, because we live in this environment, because we see this environment, we see the fruit of this environment. I mean, you walk into a, a Pentecostal church today, you walk into a charismatic church today, you won't see at most three or two people speaking in tongues. You'll see hundreds of people speaking in tongues. You'll see thousands of people speaking in tongues. And you're like, wow, this is crazy town. Well, it's true. The Bible says it's crazy town. It's not good. It's one of the signs of the last days. Disorder in the church. Disorder. You see? And no pole positioning. It's not saying, oh yeah, I speak in tongues better than you. Oh yeah, I prophesy better than you. Oh yeah, I have an understanding better than you. I have knowledge better than you. No, forget. That's that's carnal. That's those are milk drinkers. That's edification for the body. So you see here in verse 31, for you can all prophesy one by one, and all may learn. That all may learn, and all may be encouraged. You see, this is widely abused today. Widely, widely abused today. And people, because, you know, they, they see the abuse that happens in Pentecostal churches because of the abuse. You see what happens in charismatic churches because of that abuse of the gift of the Holy Spirit. And yes, I say abuse because it is misused. 
Because the pastor will teach Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 2. Evidence of the Holy Spirit is you speaking in tongues. But they dare not speak, they dare not teach 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 13 and 14. Because it's one of many gifts. And because you see this abuse, you have pastors now today who will teach, oh, that was for another dispensation. The Holy Spirit doesn't do that anymore. The Holy Spirit doesn't do miracles anymore. The Holy Spirit doesn't do tongues anymore. That was for, they'll have these conferences and they'll call it strange fire. That was for another dispensation. And if you see it today, that is strange fire. No, they're wrong. Both are wrong. All of a sudden, they're lumped in. The same, the same thing that they're making an argument for in the name of truth, they themselves get sucked into apostasy. Or are they on their way to apostasy? Why? Because they put an expiration date on the gifts of the Holy Spirit. You see? They call it strange fire. No. The gift of tongues is beautiful, and it still happens. Biblically speaking, and in order, there must be an interpreter. And if there is no interpreter, keep going. It's like going to France. My example, going to France, uh, France, speaking French. I don't speak French. How will I be able to communicate? How will I be able to listen? How will I be able to understand? No, I'm going to be a baby forever. Because I'm going to France, I'm listening to French sermon, and I don't know anything was being said, and I'm going to be a baby forever. And that's what happens when you see the tongues being abused. You see a lot of baby Christians. A lot. I mean, I would, I'm not like a statistics major, but I would say probably like 95% are baby Christians. And I don't say that to hurt or to shame, but I say that because it's like, wow, it's dangerous to be a baby. It's beautiful to be a baby when you're a baby. But it's bad when you're 20 years old and you're still in diapers. You still have your binky, you still have your little bottle. It's dangerous. Because with maturity comes this understanding where a pastor could, you know, who teaches solely on Acts 2, Acts 2, Acts 2, Acts 2, an elder needs to come alongside that pastor and say, hey, pastor... First Corinthians 12, let's have a little Bible study. First Corinthians 12 says this, and 13 says this, and 14 says this. So how is it that you teach this way? Now, a pastor who's, you know, in pole position would be like, oh, how dare you? Do not, do not uh, come against the, uh, the Lord's anointed. I'm a prophet. I'm a pastor. How dare you? And what happens today is you have these elders and deacons who do like you know hardcore submission to the pastor but don't forget the head pastor of every church is jesus christ your submission is unto jesus christ and if pastor goes off into crazy town well your submission is unto jesus christ but when your submission is into jesus is into the pastor and you submit to him he can teach whatever and you're going to submit to whatever no, you submit to Jesus Christ, His Word. An elder comes lovingly says, "Hey, Pastor, why are you teaching this? Why are you teaching that? You know, gifts of the, the, that speaking in tongues is evidence of the Holy Spirit. It's one of many. So this brother who doesn't speak in tongues, this sister who doesn't speak in tongues, why are you writing him so hard? Why are you writing her so hard? You know, I had a private conversation with her, and she, like, 
she doesn't think she has the Holy Spirit. And because you're also a Calvinist, she thinks that she's predestined to hell. So you're a Calvinist Pentecostal. I, I've never met a Calvinist Pentecostal, but, you know, I'm just speaking, you know, intermixing doctrines. And a lot of times what happens today is you have, like, Pentecostals who read from certain organizations which are um, Calvinist, but they don't reveal that they're Calvinist, but they're Calvinist. Certain coalitions, they have nice names you know, that's seemingly Christian. And they call themselves, we're, you know, XY coalition. You know, look how godly we are. We are the blank coalition. Look how godly we are. But it's Calvinist propaganda. And so you have Pentecostals who, you know, get these books. And they have the gifts of the Spirit, but then they read these, you know, other books. So now, you know, have, you have people who are like basket cases in the church, Christians. And so they're like, wow, you know, I don't speak in tongues. I don't have the gift in tongues, so what's wrong with me? And then they read these books from this, you know, these the blank coalition, which is Calvinist propaganda. And they read it and they say, wow, God predestines people to heaven and God predestines people to hell? Wow, so that he can be glorified? Wow, for his glory? He, he reprobates so that he can be glorified? Wow, I don't speak in tongues. My pastor says that evidence of the Holy Spirit is tongues. And I don't speak in tongues. Maybe I'm predestined for hell. You see? And so this person is now a basket case. And then all of a sudden says, well, because I'm predestined for hell, I'm just going to live it up. I'm done with the church and I'm going to live it up. I'm going to get drunk. I'm going to have sex like crazy. I'm going to do lines like crazy. I'm just going to become crazy. And they enter into crazy town. You know who I blame? The pastor. I blame the pastor. You see? You know who who God will lay a very heavy responsibility on? The pastor. That's what happens. And God's sheep, a person who believes, enters the fold of Christ and is to be taught and to be equipped. But now you have this person who believes, enters the flock of God, and believes, praise be to the Lord. But because of the pastors, because of the blank coalition, they read the, the I almost said communist propaganda, uh, synonymous perhaps, <laughs> Calvinist propaganda. And all of a sudden, wow, maybe I don't speak in tongues. I don't have the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's evidence of the Holy Spirit. Now, since I don't have this evidence of the Holy Spirit, maybe I'm predestined to damnation. So a person who was formerly in the flock is now leaves the flock and says, okay, I'm predestined to hell, so I'm going to live it up. I'm going to jump off the boat and I'm going to get drunk. I'm going to do sex. I'm going to do my lines. I'm going to do everything. Not this influence. Yes, there might have been that pull towards the sex, the drugs, the rock and roll. There might have been that pull, which is carnal. It's part of the fight of this world for all of us. But because of what he or she was taught by the pastor, so-called pastor. 
and because of what he or she was taught by the the blank coalition Calvinist propaganda. You see, the Lord will have the final say. Brother James says, let not, let not many be teachers. You see? And so we see this in verse 31. For you, can all, for you can all prophesy one by one that all may learn and all may be encouraged. In verse 32, and the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. This is important. I mean, it's all important, but this is a... a remember, there's no contradiction. No contradiction. The prophets today, the, the prophets today, biblical prophets today, they are always subject to the holy prophets of Scripture. Always. So somebody says, oh yeah, I'm a prophet of the Lord. Okay, now you have to exercise the gift of understanding and wisdom and discernment. If you don't have that, get somebody that has that. Find somebody that, a brother or sister that has that. Hey, this person says he's a prophet and says this, you know, wants me to go grave soaking. No, don't do it. That's an abomination, necromancy. Don't do that. It's an abomination before the Lord. That prophet is subject to the prophets. This person says he's a prophet. This lady says she's a prophetess. But it's subject to the prophets of Scripture. It's subject to Jeremiah. Subject, subject to uh, uh, Hosea. Zephaniah. Daniel. Ezekiel. Oh yeah, this lady says she's a prophet. and Says that you know she wants me to go grave soaking. Or she... She wants to take the mark of the beast and wants to take me with her. Should I go? No way. Don't go. Because the prophets are subject to the prophets. The prophets of today are subject to the prophets of Scripture. And the prophets of Scripture are servants. They don't teach their own thing. They teach the Spirit of the Lord, the same Spirit. Unity of the Spirit among the prophets of the Old Testament and the prophets of the New Testament, the, the, the apostles. That's why you can read the writings of Peter. You'd be like, whoa, Peter, this is like straight up from Gen Genesis. We have Bible studies in like the book of Numbers, the Pentateuch. And it aligns perfectly with what Matthew, the tax collector, wrote. Aligns perfectly with what Paul wrote. Aligns perfectly with what Peter and Jude wrote. Brother John. It aligns perfectly because the prophets are subject to the prophets. Now somebody says, okay, thus saith the Lord. Let's go grave soaking. You can say, nope, I'm out. Somebody says, oh, it's okay to take the mark of the beast. Once saved, always saved. Nope, I'm out. It doesn't align with scripture because the prophets are subject to the prophets. The spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. For God is not the author of confusion, he says in verse 33, or disorder. God is not the author of confusion or disorder, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. In the last days, the church will be a madhouse. You look at the church today, do you see a madhouse? It is prophesied. Now, verse 34, I have to give these, these next several verses, there has to be a, a warning here, a, a warning. Not a warning, but a caution, a word of caution. 
to my sisters in Christ. I love you. <laughs> now, if you're male, you're, we're going to see hard verses, hardcore verses for the women, for this, our sisters in Christ. Now, you know, this isn't a time for you to smirk and be like, ha ha, because you know what? Just give it time. You know, you'll be addressed too. But this is pretty hardcore for women. My sisters in Christ. Verse 34, let your women keep silent in the churches. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Paul doesn't mince words. Let your women keep silent in the churches. That's what Paul says, inspired of the Spirit, as a vessel of the Lord. How we can translate, how this translates in the Greek is concerning you women. And women here is used interchangeably for the word woman and wife. And this applies to wives. Let your women keep silent in the churches. Why do I say that? Because in verse 35, it speaks of husbands. Speaking of their their husbands, which we're going to get to. But let your women keep silent in the churches. Or let your women keep silent in the ecclesia, in the body, in the congregation. For they are not permitted to speak, but they are to be submissive. As the law also says, and this is something that we're going to see, and we've seen it already, we've studied it already, but we're going to study it more. Old Testament and New Testament, you're going to see submission, a lot of female submission unto men. Now, I see it as beautiful. Now, if you're a female, if you're my sister in Christ, let me explain now. When Paul says, you know, sometimes, like, if a jerk were to tell you, like, if you're female and you're in a room alone with a jerk and he says, okay, women keep silent in the churches. And you're like, well, you, this guy's a jerk. Now, if you were to be alone in a room with Paul and he were to say, let your women keep silent in the churches, it would be different. Why? Because you know the hands of Paul, the feet of Paul, the experience of Paul, the heart of Paul. You know where he's been. You know that he says of himself, I wish I were anathema from Christ for the sake of my countrymen, my brethren, according to the flesh, the Jewish people. I would rather burn in hell that they go to heaven. That's what Paul says of himself. You know know that, that he has experienced the beat down from his countrymen. They left him for dead. And not just his countrymen, but those, the, 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 the people who fashioned the idols, they wanted Paul dead because he impacted their bottom line. Paul was hated. You see the outpouring of his heart. You see, say you're Eunice or Lois and you have this son named Timothy, this grandson named Timothy. And you're female. And Paul says, let your women keep silent in the fellowships. Well, if you're Eunice and Lois in a private, just alone in a room with Paul, two against one, you know Paul's heart. And you accept what he says because it's like, I know that he's not trying to hurt me. I know that he's not trying to be a jerk. I know that he has my best interest at heart, even more than, he says that he wishes he could burn in hell for the anathema from Christ for the sake of his countrymen. So when when it's coming from Paul, it's more palatable. So when I say that I see this as beautiful, I'll give you an example. Because a wife 
can be a teacher to her husband in the form of her submission to her husband, teaching him how to submit to the Lord. A wife submits to her husband. Now, we're going to talk, from here on out, we're going to talk about heavy marriage. I mean, not heavy marriage, but like here, like marriage, applicationally, marriage implications and applications and employment of these truths. Marriage. But like when we get chapter 6, chapter 7, chapter 8 of 1 Corinthians, you hear me say, I don't like talking about marriage. And I really don't like teaching about marriage. Because like I mean now maybe like in 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 First Corinthians chapter five you mean why why does he keep saying he doesn't like teaching about marriage that's odd a pastor doesn't like teaching about marriage, but now that we've covered First Corinthians chapter six seven eight now you understand okay I get it I get why he doesn't like to teach about marriage. But now we're going back to the marriage now, which is beautiful. But don't forget, there's a better marriage. There's a better husband. But I just don't like teaching about marriage because the majority of Christians today in these last days are babies. Are babies. It pains me to say that, but the majority of Christians are babies. It's one of the signs of the last days as the church enters into apostasy, as the church is threatened to enter into apostasy. Not so with the remnant. But you hear me say, I don't like teaching about marriage. That's why. Because of what we studied in chapter 7. In chapter 8 too. But now we're looking within the confines of marriage. A wife can teach her husband submission. You see? Because how she submits to her husband, a husband can learn, wow, my wife is submitting to me. Man, how much more I have to submit to Jesus Christ. You see? In your own home, woman, if you're married, Just like verse 24 says, he is convinced by all, he is convicted by all. A husband could say, he is convicted by his wife, he is convinced by his wife. You see how beautiful this is? That's why I say this is beautiful. Because a a wife can teach her husband through her own acts. Acts. Emphasis on the word acts. Now, Zipporah. I'm so in love with Zipporah. She is so beautiful because the Lord wanted to kill Moses and she interceded for her husband. She interceded for her husband. You know, Moses, a giver of the law, one of the vessels as a giver of the law, almost broke the law and the Lord wanted to kill him. And it was Zipporah who interceded for him and saved his life. Now, her behavior of straight up just circumcising her children, circumcising her boys, and throwing the foreskins at the foot of at the feet of Moses. That behavior towards Moses, it wasn't a repetitive thing. It wasn't over and over and over and over. Day one, day two, month one, month two, year one, year two. No. Moses learned. Moses was saved. But Moses learned. And I love this so much because what? Now men, let me say something to you men. With maturity, you're going to understand these things better. And with maturity, your wife can breathe. Your wife can exhale. Because if your wife is going to be like Sephora, 
for day one, day two, day three, year month, or, or month one, month two, year one, year two, for decade one, decade two. If your wife is going to be Zipporah, that's not good. It's good for day one. Maybe, you know, another day. But for that to become the norm, that's not good. It's indicative of your immaturity, oh man. You need to mature in Christ. You need to grow in Christ so that you can help. You'll be a helper unto your wife so that she can exhale. Breathe. Relax. You see? That's what happens. For Paul to say here, let your women, in spite of the Spirit, for the Lord to say, using vessel Paul, let your women keep silent in their churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but they are to be submissive, as the law also says. It's very important to understand who Paul is, a vessel of the Lord, that he has your soul is at the very precipice of... Uh, I mean, he's obedient to the Lord, a vessel of the Lord, but he's not saying this to hurt you. He says this in verse 35... <laughs> And if they want to learn something, let them ask their own husbands at home. Whoa. Whoa. What is happening here? So a woman has to keep silent in the church. And then all of a sudden, let them ask their own husbands at home. For it is shameful, he says. It is improper for women to speak in the church. Whoa. This is hardcore. Now, there are several things happening here. Now, number one, we know Paul's heart. Number two, we know that he's a vessel of the Lord. Number three, we know that pride is a bad thing. Pride is a bad thing. Number four, we know that a Jezebel spirit is a bad thing. Number five, we know this. A lot of men today are little boys. There's a lot of boys in the church. A lot of baby men. A lot of preschool men. A lot. Married, too. They look like adults. They might have, you know, big hairy chest, big muscles, but they're little boys, little boys. And sometimes, sometimes as a, it's a result of their prideful wife. Sometimes it's a result of their Jezebel wife and her pride. You see, women, they like to be the spiritual leader of their home. But no. That's not the case. Remember, the leaven has been dealt with. We're talking about in the remnant. So when Paul says here, let them ask their own husbands, humility is required for you wives. Humility is required. And what happened in, you know, so that example of like uh, when the old lady or the, the lady from Diana, she comes into church, she's strung on Diana, comes in and sits with the old lady and sits with Chloe. So you have this section of women in the fellowship. The pastor would start to teach. And what if a lady there didn't understand what the pastor was saying and would yell across the room, Hey, husband. Hey, husband. What did he say again? What does that mean? And the husband say, oh, yeah, he meant this. He meant this. Oh, yeah, he said this. It's okay. So now you have this disruption in the church. When the word is going forth, now you have this, this 
disruption in the church. Because when the word goes forth, you have no idea what the Holy Spirit is doing inside the heart of the listeners. You have no idea. He's doing something, but you don't know. And when there's disruption in the church, it's not good. When there's distractions, it's not good. Distractions need to be limited, you know, if not, you know, no disruption. But sometimes it happens. Paul says, hey, that can happen. Women, you don't, you know, you keep quiet. Don't, don't scream across the room. Hey, husband, what did the pastor say? Hey, husband, what did he mean by this? Hey, husband, what does this mean in the Greek? Hey, husband, what does this mean? No, no screaming across the room. You do that at home. <laughs> Don't do that in the church. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is working. The Holy Spirit is moving. From the Word. Using the pastor as a vessel. Now, if the pastor is identified as a wolf, he has to, you know, get rid of him. But babies can't identify wolves. So you have a lot of men today, husbands today. They look like, you know, they in the flesh, big strapping males. You know, beer, full beards, hairy chest, the whole nine yards. But they're little tiny boys, little tiny babies. Me personally, this is my own conviction. I believe that the last day's church, the last day's church will be largely... Female. That's just what I, that's just my own personal conviction. I believe the last day's church will be predominantly female. Because where I see a lot of wisdom, where I see a lot of knowledge and understanding is mostly with the female. Because husbands, lazy husbands, little boy husbands who don't want to mature. Now, you know, you know, understand too that you know we have like foolish women today foolish women today who are very prideful they have a jezebel spirit they're very arrogant have you have you have have you ever been in a christian home where you can't get a word in edgewise the wife just keeps speaking you know non-stop you know it's like whoa and in your mind you're thinking like wow does she not stop then you look at the husband and he's just kind of like defunct, dejected. It's like, wow, you know, like he is not the spiritual leader of the home. And the wife assumes that role, but she can't because she has a prideful heart. She is arrogant. She has a Jezebel spirit. She can't. Now, whoever is the Christian in the home, that person takes the spiritual point. So, like, for example, you have, you know, I remember talking to a kid once where his whole, he was a former Catholic and his whole family was Catholic and he was a believer in Jesus Christ and a Christian, you know, Catholicism isn't Christianity. Catholicism is not biblical Christianity. So, you know, if you're Catholic, I love you. Come out of for my people, repent and receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Listen, you know, hit pause, listen to our message, how to receive, how to, how to receive Jesus Christ, how to commit your life to Jesus. And you become a born again Christian and you know, now we move on to perfection. But I remember talking to this kid, everybody's Catholic and he's a kid, a child, probably like 13 years old, 14 years old, eh, maybe 12. 
to understand that this kid takes point, the spiritual point, but even being the spiritual point, he still has to recognize authority in his home. Being respectful to his dad, being respectful to his mom, but also being wise and understanding that, yes, he has to be respectful, but no, he's not going to worship Mary. No, he's not going to you know, partake of these Catholic traditions. Yes, he's going to you know, uh, uh, respect their authority, but no, he's not going to worship Mary, you know, the, the, the queen of heaven. You know, I could say in accordance to Rome, I could also say in accordance to Chaldea. We'll get there eventually in our study in the Old Testament. So there are a lot of wisdom, but that kid takes point. Jesus Christ, the entry point into that home is that kid, through that kid. And so that kid has to exercise wisdom now because he's a fisherman, saving his family, his dad, his mom, you know, his siblings. And once that person who takes point, once that kid takes point, once that kid assumes that role and understands, okay, this is what I got to do. This is, this, is the, this is the game plan in my home. And I don't mind, mean to cheapen it by saying the game plan, but this is, this is how order can be established in my home. You know, the mom is probably going to be more receptive to the, to the things of the spirit just on the sole fact that she's female because of, you know, feelings that are involved with the, 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 the female sex. It's, it's a result. I mean, we could go back to Genesis. And then, you know, the wife could be a fisherman to the husband. And then so whole, the, the, the kid takes point. The kid takes point. He has to be very wise and understanding. Yes, I have to be respectful to my parents. I can't, you know, bring dishonor upon them in this manner. I'm just going to give them Jesus Christ and pray. Mom becomes a Christian. Dad becomes a Christian. And now order is established. He submits to mom and dad. Mom submits to dad. Dad submits to Jesus Christ. Siblings submit to Jesus Christ. That's, that's, that's how it happens. Biblically, that's how it happens. But today, you have a lot of women with a Jezebel spirit. Look at Joyce Meyer, Jezebel spirit. Beth Moore, Jezebel spirit. Pride, arrogance in these last days. It's going to get worse. And then you have men following these women. It's not good. You have women that want to be the spiritual leader of their home, but with a Jezebel spirit, they can't be the, the, the they can't be the spiritual head of their home. And in some cases, women have to be the spiritual leader of their home for the sake of their kids, for the name of Jesus Christ, and for the sake of their kids. But they hold on to their husband for dear life. And just like that kid who has to be respectful of the dad, the mom, the wife has to be respectful of the husband as well. But in submission to Jesus Christ, holds on to the husband for dear life and holds on to the kids and she can save her family. So when you see passages like this, a lot of prideful women today, a lot of women with the Jezebel spirit, they'll say, let your women keep silent in the churches. Oh, Paul is a sexist. Let your women keep silence in the, silent in the churches. But what is the fruit of that? Number one, there's no disorder in the church. Number one, there's no like, you know, a wife saying, hey, husband, what did the pastor say? Hey, husband, what does this mean? There's none of that. No, no uh, distractions in the fellowship so that the spirit can do his work without distraction in the life of people, in the hearts and the minds of people. But then number two, for a woman 
at home, in private with her husband, say, hey, husband, I've been praying. You know, I was reading through the Bible. I was reading this passage about tongues, this speaking in tongues, and I don't understand that. You know, do I speak in If I don't speak in tongues, does that mean that I'm predestined for hell? You see? And the husband might be like, I don't know. But what's so beautiful is that the husband can find out. The husband can be encouraged to be a Berean and search the scriptures for the sake of his wife. Search the scriptures. And if the husband doesn't know, calls the pastor. Hey, pastor, I got a situation. What's up? My wife wants to know this and why that. Okay, praise be to the Lord. Okay, let's have a little Bible study here. Let's meet over here. Let's have a little Bible study. We'll study these things. And so now you're equipped. Now you're equipped to teach not just your wife, but your family. You see? I can't tell you how many women I've spoken to who says, Hey, can you disciple my son? Hey, can you disciple my husband? And I get it. I understand it. But I don't like that question. Because I want the man to come to me. I want the male to come to me. Say, can you teach me? Anytime a female asks me that, hey, can you disciple my son? Can you disciple my husband? I say, sure. No problem. Praise be to the Lord. And they say, when? When can we do this? And I just give the church times. You know, Sunday at this time, Wednesday at this time, and then we have, you know, prayer study, prayer, uh, prayer meetings at this time. You know what happens? Nobody comes. Nobody comes. Can you disciple my son? Can you disciple my husband? Praise be to the Lord. I would love to. When? You know, Wednesday at this time, Sunday at this time, and you know we have these prayer meetings this time, and nobody shows up. And a lot of husbands, you know, just this, this kind of buttresses our study from uh, Wednesday in Numbers 23. Now, if you're female, listen to our study in, 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 in Numbers 23. Very important for females to understand the nature of warfare and how Satan tries to attack your husband. Not just your husband, but if you have like male kids, Satan will come to attack your husband and he'll try to attack your kids. And, you, you know, the males in your, all the males in your life, Satan will attack He'll come at from one angle, another angle, another angle, nonstop. You have to understand the nature of warfare. Listen to our study in Numbers 23. A lot of lazy men, boys I call. Oh yeah, I don't have to do this because my wife will do that. I don't have to do this because my wife will do that. Okay. And you know, they, they hear me say, well, you know, it's lazy husband. How dare you call me lazy, they say. How dare you call me lazy I work for a living, they say. I work for a living. That's their argument. I work for a living. Okay, I get it. But let's for a moment here, let's erase your wife. Let's erase your wife. And so you have no wife. You have no wife, no family, no nothing. It's just you. You're going to live like a pig? Is your house going to be messy? Is your yard going to be messy? Are you not going to eat? No, you're still going to go to the grocery store and buy groceries. You're still going to make whatever meals for you. Your breakfast, you're going to buy your cereal, your milk, your whatever. 
You're going to buy your eggs. You're going to buy your chicken, your steak. You're still going to do those things. You're going to be doing it solo. You're going to live like a pig or you're going to have a nice clean house. But a lot of times men, they get, oh, you shouldn't say this because I work for a living. I get it. I get it. I understand. But you erase the wife. Are you going to be a pig? Are you not going to eat anymore? You don't have a wife. You're not going to eat anymore. So let's get rid of that. You know, just admit there's a certain aspect of laziness with immaturity. Let's come on. Because I've been there. I played that too. Let's just, let's be honest here. A lot of men, they like to romanticize single life. They like to romanticize and you know, they look at their single friends and say, wow, you know what? This guy doesn't have a wife and look, he lives high on the hog. No expenses, doesn't have to pay, pay for college education, doesn't have to pay for tuition. You have this argument, you have this, this not argument, but this discussion. Okay, let's see, you know, I don't like how you say that we're lazy. I don't like how you say, are you telling me that I'm lazy? Okay, wait a second, did, I, did that strike a nerve with you? Yeah, you know what, it kind of did. Okay, okay. Let's erase your wife for a moment. And then a big smile comes on their face. Wow, no wife? Oh man, I'd live high on the hog. I could do this, I could do that. I can go watch these movies, I can do that. You see, that's, that's what I'm talking about. It's... There's this romanticization, romanticization of singleness, which, you know, if you're married, you can't play that game. You can't do that. It, the, 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 the goose is cooked, or, you know, however they say that term, I, you know, the goose is cooked. It's, it's done. It's, it's, it's baked. It's ready. You know, you've already, it's already, you know, it, it, it's done. Don't do that. Don't play that game. It's very interesting. You talk to married people and Satan likes them. Satan like seduces them about single life. Then you talk to single people and Satan seduces them to think about married life. But you know what? The remnant, how the, the mindset of the remnant, there's a better marriage. Single, there's a, there's a better husband that I'm waiting for him. Single, there's a better marriage I'm waiting for him. Married, there's a better husband that I'm waiting for him. There's a better marriage I'm waiting for that. You see, you see how Satan tries to come in at different angles. A wife in submission to her husband teaches him submission to Jesus Christ. A wife sacrificially loving, the greatest gift, loving her husband, teaches her husband by example. Just like you teach kids by example. You know, you see kids behave one way and you're like, wow, where did you learn that? You're like, I just do like my dad does. I just do like my mom does. Okay, they've learned by example. Well, a wife can do the same thing to her husband, teaching by example. Teaching a husband how to submit to Jesus Christ through her own submission to her husband. A wife has a question. Hey, husband, you know, I don't speak in tongues. Does that mean I'm predestined for hell? Now, a lazy husband will say, I don't know. But a husband who has learned to employ this greatest gift of love will sacrificially, oh man, you know, yeah, I worked a long day, but you know, I was gonna, I was gonna uh, watch TV, I was gonna watch this movie, but instead of watching the movie, I'm gonna be a Berean, I'm gonna search the scriptures. 
one that can't find the answer. Well, you know, I'm reading. I know the Bible says this, but I still don't get it. Second day, I still don't get it. I don't get I'm going to call the pastor. Calls the pastor. Hey, pastor, you know, I need help with this. You know, my wife says this and I want to help her in this. Okay, let's pray. Okay, now the Bible says this, says this over here. It is also written over here. It is also written here. And this is what the Blank Coalition says. We know that's garbage because it does, it's, it's uh, Calvinist propaganda. So take that Blank Coalition stuff, throw it in the trash, put it in the fire. You see? And then you're done. Little Bible study with the husband. Okay, good to go. Love you, brother. Love you, brother. Hang up. Done. Husband goes to the wife. Okay. This is what the Bible says. Now the husband has a little Bible study with his wife. Pastor of his home. Teaching his wife. The kids are there. Listen. All Everybody is edified. Wives, Kids submit to husband and wife. Mom and dad. Wife submits to her husband. Husband submits to Jesus Christ. You see? Pastor is in submission to Jesus Christ. As an overseer. That's why Paul writes to Timothy as to the overseers, to, Tim, to, to Titus, the overseers, the shepherds. Order. You see? Order. But what do you see today? You see a lot of men who are boys and they like to be boys. Why? Because they like the umbilical cord. They like to be tied to mommy. They like to be, you know, under the skirts. You know, it's like, okay, you know, I have my mommy and I don't leave and cleave. Instead, I cut this umbilical cord and now I attach it to my wife. And so I have mommy number one who's old and I have mommy number two who, you know, it's like they like being babies. Stupid. Put on your big boy pants, man. Move on to perfection. Don't romanticize, you know, oh yeah, my single friend, he does this, he stays up late, he does it, he lives. However, he lives like a king. You romanticize your single friend. You're being seduced by Satan. It's an attack. It's a satanic seduction. And attack number one turns into attack number a thousand. And maybe attack number a thousand and one, you're going to fall. You see? And Satan's going to laugh because you bought the lie. You believe the lie. That's what happens. It's very interesting because a lot of husbands, they get into this mindset where like, you know, I work for a living. I work, I bring home the bacon. Okay, I get that. You erase your wife, erase your family, erase your kids. So are you going to, does that mean your house is going to be messy? You're never going to dust. You're never going to vacuum. You're never going to sweep. You're never going to buy groceries. You're never going to eat breakfast. You're never going to eat lunch. You're never, you're going to die. You're going to have no sustenance for living and no, no food. So you're going to die like in two weeks, you're going to be dead. See, that's stupid talk. That's stupid language. That's stupid thought. That's the, that's the thought pattern of the idiotes. You see? No, we move on to maturity. We understand these things. And we grow and we mature together. Kids in submission to parents. Wife in submission to husband. Husband in submission to Jesus Christ. Husband goes off into crazy town. Wife is now the point. She's submission to Jesus Christ. Holds on to her husband for dear life. No matter how crazy he gets. Holds on to her husband for dear life. 
and holds on to her kids, saves the kids. Husband gets so off in the crazy town, he says, okay, I want to divorce you. We're done. This is it. Marriage broken. Okay, husband goes off into crazy town. He is now lost. He is now lost. He is now under the law. The wife, does that mean wife can go out and, you know, get married and do all these things? Well, no, then you get into this aspect of adultery. Adultery. Now, the husband dies. You know, that's the, 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 the breaking of the marriage contract. You know, the biblical breaking. So now the wife could get married again except in the Lord. Married in the Lord. Marry another Christian. I would say, you know, there's a better marriage. You see, I have like pastors on their third marriage. Pastors on their fifth marriage. What is happening? And then they're, they're, you have a pastor on his third marriage and he's going to teach about marriage? They're going to give a marriage conference? They're going to do marriage counseling? And he himself was on his third marriage and his previous two wives are still alive? They haven't died? I mean, if they were dead, that would be one thing because they died. And biblically, when they're dead, with death, you can get married again, biblically speaking. To a Christian. So, oh, I'm on my third wife. Oh, I'm so sorry to hear that your two wives are dead. What are you talking about? They're still alive. They got married again. They're on their they're on their other marriages too. Well, I hate to tell you, but well, that's adultery. You're in adultery. You see? It's not good. That's what you see in the church. The church is a mess. The church is a mess. It is prophesied. The last day's church will be a mess. Either false, apostate, on its way into apostasy, or true. Repentance is needed. Now, if you're on your third marriage, you know, it's not to say, okay, divorce her and get back with your first wife. No, repent. Repent, 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 repent. Be cleansed. Be clean in the Lord. Be right with the Lord. And so we see this, you know, a lot of times, you know, you, a lot of women, they look at verses 34 and 35 and they have a prideful heart. If that's you, if you feel the pride rising up, I don't want to keep silent in church. I don't want to ask my own husband. I love you, but you have to repent. It is not the right heart to have before the Lord. Not, the, not a heart before man. Forget man. A heart before your maker. Your heart before the potter. You are the clay. Your heart is to be circumcised before Jesus Christ. If you read verse 34, I don't want to keep silent. Oh, you know what? I don't want to I don't, I don't want to ask my husband. And you're prideful about that. Now, this is what Satan does. Satan will capitalize on that pride, and then all of a sudden he'll get inside of you a Jezebel spirit. That's because you're op- you want to be open to the pneumos. That's what happens. You want to be open to the these these are like we're getting into heavy heavy subject matter because now this remnant is now being made aware and open to things of the pneumos, the spirit realm, and the spirit realm is very very dangerous. It's beautiful, just like the 
picturesque scenery. It's very beautiful. But in this picturesque scenery, there's the deadly snakes, deadly frogs, the bitter cold. <clears throat> there's the heat of the desert. There's extreme heat, which can kill you. There's tigers, which can kill you. There's snakes. There's spider bite. All these things that can kill you. Very, very dangerous environment. Not just that. They're, you know, name all kinds of hunters that want to kill you. That want you dead. The desire, not that they want to eat a meal. They want you dead. They are specifically targeting you. You want to be open to the Numos. Welcome to the Numos. This is the Numos. The spirit realm. Now, which is a very dangerous place. In order to survive in that environment, you need to be dangerous. You need yourself to be dangerous. And dangerous in a good way. Dangerous in a good way. Meaning, remember the demon with the sons of Siva in the book of Acts? You know, Jesus I know, Paul I know, but who are you? Remember? And this demon came out and like beat up these seven guys. And they ran away naked. That's, I mean, and when you get in a fight, I mean, clothes get torn, clothes get ripped. This fight was so intense. The sons of Siva and the demon won the fight. You see? And the demon said, Paul, I know. Why? Because Paul was dangerous. Paul was dangerous. So a lot of people, I shouldn't say people because we're talking about women, okay? Sisters, I love you as my sister in Christ. I don't say this to hurt you. But you have to understand, you want to open yourself up to this pneumos. In order for that to happen, you have to be dangerous yourself. Because what happens, a lot of women, they say, well, wait a second. You know what? I don't want to keep silent in church. In the church. I don't want to ask my own husband. So because they're open to the pneumos, in this realm of the spirit, what happens? And not, not realm of the spirit, like capital S, not that realm. I'm talking about the spirit realm where there's good and evil. The Jezebel spirit can enter a heart. And that's what you see in a lot of homes and a lot of women. They say they're Christian homes. But you have the overbearing wife who will talk and 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 talk. Oh my goodness. Talk and talk and talk. Oh my goodness. You look at the husband, he's kind of like a dejected little boy. Talk and talk and talk and talk and talk. Oh my goodness, does she not stop? Does she have batteries somewhere? Because I want to rip those puppies out. Talk and And when she talks, it's not even sound doctrine. Oh yeah, I'm going to read this study Bible, you know. I'm going to go take the mark of the beast, they'll be saved, no big deal. You see? It's not even sound Oh yeah, I'm going to go grave soaking. Hey, let's go grave soaking. Non-stop, grave soaking this, grave soaking this, take the mark of the beast, okay, yeah. Non-stop. It's not even sound doctrine. She wanted to be open to the Jezebel spirit. She, or she wanted to be open to the spirit realm, the, the pneumos, and the Jezebel spirit entered her. Pride and arrogance. You see? She wants to be the spiritual leader of the house. No order in the home. No order whatsoever in the home. A household out of order. 
Literally, I mean, you go to, I'm, I'm old school, you go to like a video game store. You know, you want to play your favorite game. You get in there, you know, you put in your dollar, you get your quarters, you go to your video game, you used to be a big sign, out of order, it doesn't work, no power. That's what happens when there's out of order. In a church or in a home, out of order, no power. You see? Oh, that was for another dispensation. There's no power of the Lord. There's no power of the Spirit like He did 2,000 years ago. Wrong. Wrong. Oh, we have a thousand people in our church and a thousand people speak in tongues. Wrong. You see? Oh, but this guy says I can take the mark of the beast. Look, I read from his study Bible. Wrong. See? Jezebel spirit. Jezebel. Jezebel's all around us. To my beautiful sisters, don't be a Jezebel. It requires humility. Humility is required. In your submission to your husband, you can teach him submission to Jesus Christ. So now you look at verse 34, let your women keep silent in the churches. Now when you read that with that perspective in mind for the sake of your husband's soul, it's not a bad thing at all. You read that, you're like, wow, you know what? I can do this. You know what? I want to save my husband. I can do it. I want to do this. I desire to do this. I want to save my husband. I don't want him to burn in hell. I'm going to help him. When you read verse 35, let them ask their own husbands at home, you see? Not in the church. Hey, husband, what did the pastor say? What do you mean? No, let them ask their own husbands at home. Now you're a woman. I want to do this. I I don't want my husband to burn in hell. I, I desire to do this. It's a lot of this rising of the feminist spirit. You see it in the world. And Corinth is Corinth. The problem happens when Corinth comes into the church. Corinth comes into the church and the Lord has to clean house using Paul as a vessel. In the last days, Corinth will come into the church and there's going to be few people to clean house. So much so that the Lord will clean house. And as Brother Peter says, in the spirit, you know, the, 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 uh, the, uh, the spirit of the prophets are subject to the prophets. No no disorder with what we see with the prophet Joel. Peter submitting to the prophets, both in submission to Jesus Christ, under the same spirit. Everything aligns perfectly, beautifully. Beautifully. And what does Brother Peter say? Judgment comes first in the house of God. The Lord cleans house himself. That's how bad it's going to be. You have teachers, you have pastors, you have prophets, you have elders, biblical ones, who will keep the house clean. But the mess is going to get so bad that the Lord, okay, I'm going to clean house. Himself, he's going to do it himself. Not through his vessels, he's going to do it himself. That's what the Bible says. I don't care what mankind teaches, but that's what the Bible teaches. You see? 
So if you're female, if you're my beautiful sister in Christ and you, you know, you read this, you're like, man, I don't, I still don't like this. I don't want to keep silent in church. I don't want to ask my husband. Well, remember the better husband, capital H. Remember your better marriage. Be pleasing unto him. And you submit to him. And in submitting to him, he will give you a new heart, a new spirit. To where these things, verse 34 and verse 35, will be easily palatable. Easily applicable in your life. And easily employable in your life. In the name of love. Sacrificially. You see? But where you don't see that in women is where you also find the Jezebel spirit. Because the women, they want to be open to the pneumos and they open themselves up to the pneumos because they don't have teachers to say, wait a second, you know, you need to be understanding. See, before you go out into that realm, you need to have this understanding. It's a very dangerous place. And because it's a dangerous, I mean, take a, a two-year-old. And, you know, I gave the example earlier, a two-year-old going out into combat. But take, your, take a two-year-old and drive out into the wilderness and, you know, open the car door, say, t- tell your two-year-old to get out, and then drive away. That two-year-old is going to be dead in less than a day. That two-year-old will die in the wilderness. Don't even just, not even off the side of the road. Get out of the car, hold the hand of your two-year-old, walk five miles in into the, the depths of the wilderness to where like just walking is dangerous and say, okay, here, you know, I'm going to drop you off right here. Walk back to your car and then drive away. Your kid is going to be dead in two hours. Fall, trip, break his arm, break his leg, break her arm, break her leg, whatever. Can't run, you know, wolf is going to come. The bear is going to come and have a nice little meal. You see? Beautiful, yes, the outdoor is beautiful. Still dangerous. In order for survivability to happen, not just survivability, but thriveability. In order for that to happen, that two-year-old needs to grow, become five, become 10, become 15, become 20, and grow and mature and become a dangerous person herself, become a dangerous person himself, a threat to Satan, a threat to the demonic. But no, you have two-year-olds that want to be open to that and the num- in the pneumos. And what happens? Boom, Jezebel spirit. And that's, I'm just speaking about the women, the Jezebel spirit. The men, you know, that we're, we're going to get there eventually. But men, don't be babies. If you're a baby today, repent. Don't be a baby anymore. You like the umbilical cord of, you know, your... You're uh, uh, in accordance to the flesh. Your your mommy, you need to cut that baby. You cut that, and then it's like, okay, I cut it. No big deal. Now I have my umbilical cord to my spiritual mommy, my wife. No, you cut that baby too. You see, you submit to Jesus Christ, your better husband, your better as a bride of Christ. You submit to Him, old man. You see, don't be a boy. Don't be a boy. Don't be a little a little baby. You know, with your little diapers. 
No, you put on your big boy pants. And you grow, you mature. You open to the numos, but you're not, you know, you're not um, an easy target. You're open to the numos, but you're a threat to the demonic. See? You fight the good fight. Just like Paul, just like Peter, just like Jude. You see? You look to your left, you got your wife right next to you. You look to your right, you got your kids right next to you. Because everybody's fighters. You see? Look at verse 36 in closing. Or did the word of God come originally from you? You see? Did the word of God come originally from you? Both male and female. Or was it origi- or, or was it you only that it reached? Male and female. You see, wisdom is required. Was it, was it you only that it reached? It's for everybody. The word of God is, not everybody is receptive. Just like, you know, if you listen to our communion message, that division, two people, one person is, oh, I'm not down with this guy. I, don't, I, want, I want nothing to do with Jesus Christ. And then another person is be like, wow, you know what? I'm so done with this world. I'm so done with Diana, whatever environment it is. I'm so done with Diana. I'm so done with this. I'm so done with that. You know what? I want to get in the ark. No, the word of God is for everybody. Not everybody receives him. But it's for everybody nonetheless. He is long-suffering. If anyone thinks or supposes himself to be a prophet, which is non-carnal, or if anyone thinks he's supposed to be a prophet or spiritual, spiritual here is non-carnal. Let him acknowledge that the things which I write to you are the commandments of the Lord. Now, this isn't Paul writing his suggestions. Remember his suggestions about marriage. That was chapter 7. But this is the Lord he's saying. Remember, in the Lord's house, there must be order. And the Lord is establishing order through his vessel by the name of Paul. Now, remember, chapter 7, verse 40, Paul says, I think I have the Spirit of God. I love that so much. This isn't a suggestion. Order is being established and order needs to happen. It needs to be established. The alternative to this form of order and the the moving towards order in the fellowship, the alternative to this is judgment. God's judgment. That's not good. It will happen. Judgment comes first in the house of God. But ultimately, on an individual basis, on a global and individual basis, the day of the Lord is coming. And the day of the Lord is closer today than it was yesterday. The day of the Lord will be closer tomorrow than it is today. As surely as the Lord lives, it will come to pass. And one day we will call it history. Because it would have come to pass. We'll be in our glorified bodies. But where are the messengers? Where are the pastors? Where are the teachers? Where are the elders? Where are the prophets? Where are the elders? Where are the deacons? Where are they? As the church, remember the four categories. The last day's church is either false, apostate, on its way to apostasy, or true. Where are the ones saving people as through fire? As through fire. Just as Brother Jude says. Turn with me to the book of Jude really quick. Chapter 1. There's only one chapter. But in Jude chapter 1. 
verse 22, Brother Jude says this, And on some have compassion, making a distinction. You see, discrimination has to happen. And I'm not mean discrimination according to the, according to the flesh. I mean spiritual di- discrimination, discernment. And on some have compassion, making a distinction, but others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garments defiled by the flesh. You see? Hate the garment. That's why you get to say, you know, uh, uh, hate the sin, love the sinner. Love, love the sinner, hate the sin. Hate the garment. This working of the flesh. Hate it. It is disgusting. It is ugly. Hate it. But the soul, you see, you have to make a distinction. Some people have compassion, you see. But some others, you have to take, make a hard, hard line approach. Just as Brother Jude says, you have compassion, but you need to make this distinction. But others, you save with fear. Hating the garment defiled by the flesh. But you're straight up on a rescue mission. Just like Paul says, commit a brother to commit such a one to Satan. Wow, that's hardcore. Paul is so mean. He is so mean-spirited. No, he's saving him out of fear, pulling them out of fire. Commit him to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. It might be that his soul may be saved in the day of the Lord. Brother Jude, what he says here in Jude chapter 1, verse 22 and 23, aligns perfectly with what Brother Paul says which aligns perfectly with the prophecies of Joel and Isaiah and Jeremiah. Hosea. You see? Aligns perfectly. The prophets in subjection to the prophets. Verse 32 of 1 Corinthians 14, And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. One spirit, the spirit of the Lord. Which aligns perfectly. That's why we read these passages like, "Wow, Genesis aligns perfectly with this. all these different passages." You know, sometimes we're in the Bible. We say, oh, "Turn here, turn here, turn here." Everything aligns perfectly, perfectly. You see, but somebody says, "Okay, you know, I'm a prophet. Let's go grave soaking." Nope, that's not a prophet. It's a false prophet. And so, look what happens here in. Um, in closing, in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 38, But if anyone is ignorant, let him be ignorant. If anyone is, this is lack of information or lack of intelligence, let him be ignorant. You know, I, I love this so much because for, for the church, for the sake of the church, if anyone is ignorant, let him be ignorant. Now, it's like, well, wait a second. That's like, does, does, does Paul mean that it's no big deal? He says all these things, but it's no big deal? No, it's a huge deal. But it's nothing to, to, to fight. It's nothing for the church, for the ecclesia. It's nothing for them to argue because that's the, that's where you get into dissension, dissensions. That's when you get into works of the flesh. No, it's not like that at all. But the pastors, the pastors are now activated. It's like, okay, brothers and sisters, don't fight about this. Don't fight about that. Don't, you know, this, don't argue about this. But the pastors, the elders, they have a responsibility. You deal with it, pastor. You deal with it, elder. You see? That's the flaw. I'll give you an example. Say you have a church with... I'll use a small church, for example. 
to those who have ears. <laughs> say, say, say you have a church with 10 people. 10 people. Small church. You have a church with 10 people. And the works of the flesh start to show itself. The fruit of the flesh start to reveal themselves. All through what is taught from Scripture, through fellowship, but the works of the flesh are made evident. You know, just like verse 25 says, the secrets of his heart are revealed. Now, people don't like them to be revealed. You know, Satan has turned the tables, but the Spirit of the Lord, which is stronger, reveals these things. Now, a pastor or an elder can look at the fellowship and say, okay, Brothers and sisters, you don't argue about this. You know, you, you know, exercise, exercise the works of the Spirit. Exercise the gift of love. Exercise the, the gift of prophecy. Exercise this gift of, in the gift of prophecy is the, is the comfort to exhort. Exercise, do these things. Exercise these things. But then the pastor and the elder have a responsibility. I'll say the pastor. Let's exclude the elder for a moment. Then the pastor has a responsibility. To address the situation. Yes, the fellowship, the lambs, the sheep. Yes, they're playful. They're joyful in the fold of Christ, in this camp of Christ. They're full of joy and exercising and using the fruits of the Spirit and being trained up. And yes, it's beautiful. Being tended and cared for. But then the pastor has responsibility to go talk with this uh, this particular individual or maybe a set of individuals about this working of the flesh Hey guys, this isn't good. This isn't good before the Lord. You partook of communion last last month. You partook of communion, and this was a problem that was existed far before then. And you know, this week you did communion, and it's not good. You're bringing judgment onto yourself. Oh, but God is love. God is love. It's okay. No big deal. And this gets addressed. This working of the flesh gets addressed. And then the pastor has a choice to make. Okay, we're going to have a communion. Listen. Because you have not done this, because you have not done that, and not this isn't in accordance with the flesh, this is in accordance with the Word of God. Because you have not fixed this issue or addressed this issue, we're going to have communion, but you don't partake of communion. You see? Whoa, that's so mean. How dare you? I'm out of here. I'm going to go to this church where we take communion every day and I can still live in my sin. Well, I don't want you to do that, but I can't force you to do anything. And so all of a sudden, they leave. They take people with them. Do you know what happens with that remnant that remains? They're still free. They don't have to fight. They don't have to argue. They don't have to have any contentions. They don't have, they're, they're training they're training how to fight. They're training how to, you know, be exposed to the pneumo so that they can fight and fight effectively and fight well. That's what happens among the remnant. As the days get more evil, Satan is going to ramp up, ramp up his efforts. Why? Because he knows his time is short. This fight that we see today, this is absolutely nothing. This is like piece of, this is like nerf playing Nerf, not even Nerf, this is like playing with marshmallows, not even marshmallows, this is like playing with air bubbles, like, you know, the soap bubbles, you know, you have those toy guns, you pull the trigger and like bubbles come out, this is like that, not even that, this is nothing, 
is going to get worse and worse to where the bubbles will become the nerf. The nerf will become sticks. The sticks will become straight up bullets. The bullets will become straight up mortar rounds. The mortar rounds will become artillery shells. The artillery shells will become straight up moabs. It's going to get worse and worse and worse and worse. But if anyone is ignorant, let him be ignorant. That isn't to say, don't address the issue. That's to say, okay, lamb, okay, sheep, don't worry about it. Activate the pastor. Activate the elder. Elder, pastor, you deal with it. You deal with it. Keep the Lord's house clean. You see? Man-pleasers, man-pleasers who love people more than God, they refuse to do that. They can't do that. They're hirelings. In closing, let's look at verse 39. You know, to, to keep the Lord's house clean, let's just really quick turn to Hosea chapter 4. Hosea chapter 4. <clears throat> and Hosea 4, verse. Six, this is what the Lord says to the prophet Hosea. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Whoa, that's hardcore. That is hardcore. But it is true. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge, I will also reject you from being priest for me. You see, this is reactionary. Though, because it's, it's, You could look at the this part. I will also reject you. I also will reject you from being priest for me. But that's reaction. That's the, re that's the Lord's reaction. The impetus is because you have rejected knowledge. And the Lord says, I will also, I will, I also will reject you for being priest for me. Because you have forgotten the law of your God, I also will forget your children. You see? Reactionary. The Lord reacts to Israel's choices. When Israel. They don't retain knowledge. They have rejected knowledge. In verse 7, The more they increased, the more they sinned against me. I will change their glory into shame. They eat up the sin of my people. They set their heart on their iniquity. And it shall be like, the pe like people, like priests. Now, like people, like priests is beautiful when the priests are obedient. I mean, look at Israel, the camp of Israel in our study in Numbers. If everybody were like, Moses, or if everybody were like Aaron, wow, not Aaron when he fell, but Aaron in the aftermath of Aaron after he repented. If Israel was like Aaron, woo, that would be so beautiful. So incredibly beautiful. But what happens if Israel was like Eli or his wicked sons? So uh, like uh, in verse 9, like, like people, like priests, can be beautiful, but it can be very ugly, and ugly to the extent that judgment befalls. Just like you have, like Paul says, the Lord has people as a pattern. If the people were like Paul, how beautiful would that be? If the people were like Barnabas, how beautiful. If the people were like Peter, like Jude, like Lois, or like Chloe, or Phoebe, if the people were like that, how beautiful. Like Lydia, beautiful Liddy. Oh my goodness, that would be so beautiful. But if the church were like Judas, like Ananias and Sapphira, like Simon, that wouldn't be good. No, the leaven has to be dealt with. 
in verse 9, and it shall be like people like priests. Now here, that's not a good thing because the priests were crazy town. They went defunct. And it entered the camp of Israel. The same way we see what happens in Corinth. You have the defunct pastors, the defunct elders, then you have a defunct church and the workings of the flesh. But the Lord cleans house. In verse 9, the Lord says, So I will punish them for their ways and reward them for their deeds, for they, ha for they eat but not have enough. They shall commit harlotry, but not increase, because they have ceased obeying the Lord. You see? Ceased obeying the Lord. Just as we are studying in Numbers about Balaam. Balaam believed, but it's just for a little while. It's short term. For you and me, we have to make a choice. We have to make a choice. Obey the Lord, not just for another week, not for another month, for the rest of our lives. Never, ever cease obeying the Lord. Never. Never. You see? And He shows us the way. He teaches us. He equips us. Now let's finish our study in 1 Corinthians 14. In closing. Officially in closing. Therefore, brethren. Verse 39. Therefore, brethren. Desire earnestly to prophesy. And do not forbid to speak with tongues. Remember, tongues is beautiful. But, you know, two at, at most three. You see churches where there's a hundred people speaking tongues? Not good. Not biblical. A thousand people speaking tongues? Not biblical. You see? Do not forbid to speak with tongues. It has to be biblically applied. Tongues is beautiful. It has to be biblically applied. Let all things be done decently. This is uh, honorable. Let things be done decently, which is honorable and noble and in order. Order. Order in God's house. Order in the church. Order in the ecclesia. We are a different people. Corinth is Corinth. Some of us have come out of Corinth. Some of us have come out of Egypt. Some of us have come out of wherever. But we're a different people. Set apart. Consecrated. Consecrated. Unto the Lordship of Jesus Christ. God bless you beautiful people of the way. I love you.